He's got a beautiful backswing. That's, oh, he got all of that one. Oh my gosh. That is amazing. Lay up with an iron into the hazard. Well, that wasn't quite what I meant, you know. What's up, everybody? Welcome into another edition of the 73rd Hole, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. We are here at Southern Hills this week for the PGA Championship. Gets underway tomorrow morning. Picks everything coming your way uh recap review of tiger yesterday watching him hit some range balls taylor you followed him around for about nine holes today uh sam will be joining us momentarily he got stuck at southern hills today there's a shuttle system that is not always friendly uh if you miss the shuttle by just a couple of minutes uh so sometimes you get stuck at southern hills a little bit longer than you plan to be but not a bad place to get stuck joining us via the phone woody you were at Jimmy Austin the last couple of days where OU has claimed the crown at their regional and will be advancing to Greyhawk. Uh, how'd Jimmy play the last few days, OU, with the come-from-behind? Uh, what, what is it, Woody? A come-from-behind blowout win? Is that a good way to put it? Uh, golly, I'll tell you what. Yesterday, OU was just flat. I don't know what it was. It, just, I don't, I, it was weird. But today, boy, they came out with a swagger. And uh, there was no way, you know how they say, you're not going to beat me at my house. Well, those boys came out today and they said, you're not going to beat me at my house. And, uh, <laughs> man, they they came right out of the box. Of course, led by Logan McAllister, played so solid today. Golly, buried the first two holes and shot five under today, but never missed a beat. And, uh, you, you know, the the whole team, the front nine said it all. Uh, the first six, seven holes said it all. Uh, OU came out making birdies. Auburn came out making bogeys. It literally, guys, it was over so quickly. And and you could see it coming. I mean, you could just tell the Auburn guys were tentative and the OU guys were just like, you know what? Get out of my way. Uh, we're going we're gonna to dog you like big today. We're going to beat you bad. And they did. It was, it was thoroughly impressive. Uh, OU has got to be, I mean, as good as that team is, and I know Matt's play, who knows what's going to happen, but if they're not one of the favorites, you can bust me. Woody, they ended up finishing second, but they had the the, uh, two-round lead. What in the world happened to Auburn today? 292, that's just not very good at all. You know, guys, they just came out today. They just didn't look comfortable. I mean, they didn't look they didn't look like they were comfortable in their shoes. Uh, they didn't look like they were a team that was winning uh, that golf tournament. I don't, I don't know how to explain it, but if you played enough golf, you can just watch them and you could just see there was nothing about them that said we were ready. Uh, they, they looked scared almost is what they looked like. And on the other side of the coin, it looked like OU was on the football field with the OU Sooners. They were bad. They were ready, and they just came out and just laid a whooping on them. 
Yeah, how about this? OU's worst score today, the score they dropped, was Stephen Campbell Jr., who shot a 71. The best score that Auburn registered today was a 72 by their one bag, J.M. Yeah. Butler, who Ooh. ended up finishing solo third for the tournament. So, uh, I, I mean, yeah, OU had five guys go lower than anybody from Auburn went. The five that are making it from the Norman Regional, that's OU, Auburn, Ole Miss, got in there at three. They also had the individual regional champion, which was Jackson yep. Suber. He went 70, 68, 67. That is 11-0 under in three rounds at Jimmy Austin. Pretty impressive stuff from Jackson Suber, uh, who's a great player collegiately. Texas finished in fourth. Uh, Travis Vick, the top performer on their team. Cole Hammer actually coming in last on Texas, T40 for the tournament. And then Utah, the fifth team to make it through. Uh, Woody, how were the course conditions at Jimmy Austin? I'm sh- I mean, I'm sure it was in perfect shape uh, and obviously an advantage yeah. for OU to be at their home course. But what was the course looking like and, and how tough would you say it was playing from Monday through today? Well, I, I will say this, uh, uh, the boys 6A was a lot tougher conditions. The wind, the wind really wasn't a big factor the couple of days that I was there. It, it just didn't blow that hard. And, and the golf course was phenomenal. Golly, they, you know, kudos to their superintendent and their staff, Tyler and all those guys. It was first class all the way. And I think that golf course, it's just going to get better and better and better. The acclaim of that golf course has not even started to be where it's going to be. It, it is just a phenomenal facility. Woody, we've been talking for two months now to watch out for Texas because they may potentially be a threat at the national title. Being able to watch both OU and Texas firsthand, is OU heads and shoulders above uh, Texas? Not even close. It's not even close, in my opinion. It really isn't. And OU is just so solid. They're just, and it's a team that looks like they think they can win. Uh, like I said, they were flat yesterday, which surprised the heck out of me. I, I was not going to be surprised if they came out and just dusted everybody right off the bat. And I think in a way, guys, this was really pretty good. It was a kind of a wake-up call that that second day, all of a sudden, they're five back. And I think they kind of got themselves together and went, you know what, Um uh, we need to pay attention here. We're one of the best teams in the country, but we need to take care of business and we need to finish this tournament before we worry about Greyhawk next week. And it was a totally different OU team today than it was yesterday. Totally different. Yeah, absolutely. It sounds like it. That's Jim Woodward. He's been down at Jimmy Austin for the Norman Regional where the Sooners won by 10 shots over the Auburn Tigers who finished in second place as the uh, road to Greyhawk continues. A little less drama this year for OU than there was last year in Albuquerque. Just when they a little had bit. To, when they had to make the comeback just on the – like Just the, a touch. I, I was going to say, it wasn't even like the back nine they had to make a comeback. It was like the final three holes OU had to make a comeback last year to get where right. they needed to be. I'm Colby Powell. Taylor Williams with us. Sam Humphreys will be joining us shortly coming in from Southern Hills to talk a little PGA Championship. We've got a ton of PGA Championship action headed your way. Uh, We've got questions from Tiger yesterday. Uh, You know, we were fortunate enough to stand there and watch him hit range balls for a long time. Other guys, too. Tyler, you and I walked a few holes with Hideki today. We'll get into all that, as well as the interview that you and Sam did last night with Alan Shipnuck. That's right. That was awesome. The the writer of this new book, and uh, I couldn't make it. I, I had other work obligations I had to fulfill, so I couldn't be there, but it sounds like it was a great interview. Woody, I got text from Sam and Taylor last night at about 9 30 10 o'clock and they both said 
I'm really surprised that I walked away from that dinner thinking that Alan Shipnuck is the absolute man. So I, I haven't even had time to go back and listen to the Shipnuck interview yet. It, it was played on the Sports Animal earlier today. A bunch of people have heard it. I haven't even heard it yet. I haven't had time. We're so busy up here at Southern Hills. So I actually can't wait for, for this episode to come out so I can go back uh, and listen to Sam and Taylor with Shipnuck. So a lot of great stuff in reference to the PGA coming up later in the show. Uh, we're getting started here with some collegiate golf. Uh, guys, Oklahoma State also – advancing to Greyhawk. They're at the Columbus Regional. The five teams to advance there, Oklahoma State, Georgia Tech, Ohio State, Arkansas, and East Tennessee State. Oklahoma T1 at this regional alongside Georgia Tech. So another good performance for Oklahoma State and another trophy for Eugenio lopez Chicara, who has had just a phenomenal, phenomenal season. Uh, and he's coming back next year. That was a big surprise to everybody. But Taylor, 69-69-68 for Chikara. Oklahoma State has four guys finishing inside the top 15. And I tell you what, I mean, there's a lot of good collegiate golf teams, but it's kind of looking like uh, we might be shaping up for Bedlam. Match play can get weird, but I, I think it's a proven point at this at this time of the season. These are the two best golf teams in the country. That's what it's starting to look like, especially with uh, what we just heard from Woody about Texas maybe not being as good as they've looked on paper. I'll say this, guys. Can we just set it up now to where – oh. OU and OSU can be on opposite sides of the bracket. I, I don't want to see this. Really? And like the like if they're both four and five seed, which I highly doubt would happen, but yet if these two teams meet in the first round, as great as that would be, that would be slight buzzkill, right? Like, it, it would, but you um, remember last year, guys, they were on opposite sides of the bracket. OU did their job and got there. OU got knocked yep. out by Pepperdine Same thing in the semis. At, um, well, they would have met in the semis, but at Karsten. They would have met in the semis at Karsten, and OU got beat, I believe, by Auburn that year i think they lost to texas i think you're right was it texas or was it auburn i'm pretty sure texas i okay. may be wrong because okay, I, I remember can't... it, it yeah. hurt even worse i remember that okay fair enough fair enough yeah. so yeah. Uh, oklahoma state gets through ou gets through woody i mean these two teams are the favorites we're we're so lucky to, to have the two best college teams in the country uh just right down the road here in the state of oklahoma oh it's phenomenal isn't it i mean and, and let me tell you something both those teams are strong from Five to one. Uh, I mean, I know we're going to have to take an alternate along just in case, but I just don't think any of these kids are going to back up. And it's like you say, what'll be fun? What'll be really fun is watching the the the, the stroke play leading up before we're seated to go to the match play. That that's going to be what's going to be interesting to see how those two perform in that stroke play. Whether it's a doggy dog fight there too before that match play ever happens, it's going to be fun. It's a great week, and I think I think you guys are both right. I mean, it looks like to me the stars are lining up where this really could be bedlam this year. It really could. Woody, I, I got to say this. There were only two teams at the regional in Norman who used an alternate, Louisville and San Diego State, and neither one of those teams made it through. So I think there's a little bit of karma going there, Woody. I think the uh, golf gods yeah, are starting yeah. to agree with your alternate philosophy. Oh, yeah, I think they were. They knew I was there, and they said, we're not going to do that. No, <laughs> they, didn't, they, they didn't need an alternate. That, they needed you to go out there and start hitting some shots. That's what they were waiting no, on you for. that would have. That would have really gotten them back in the back if they let me go out there. Those guys were playing from those tees that I was I, I was looking at some of those tee boxes and I went, I didn't even know there was one there. Did, did they play <laughs> they every, so far back? Do they play every hole back? Well, not every hole, but but there was a there was a lot of holes where they had some they had some real golf in front of them that uh, that golf course you could stretch that out for really long. But they they didn't completely beat them up, guys. But it was a heck of a test. Woody, out of every player you saw this last week, who was the most impressive to you? 
oh, wow. Well, I'll tell you today, Logan McAllister really impressed me. He's a leader. He's a leader. He, uh, he kind of took the bull by the horns, literally, and said, "You know what? But I'm gonna, I'm gonna go out and I'm gonna whoop these boys today." And uh, he really, he is really starting to show that kind of look and swagger that that screams of a guy that can play professional golf. He really does. Yeah, absolutely. That's uh, great stuff from those guys down there and great stuff uh, happening right now in college golf. The women getting underway soon and then a men, the men a week later at Greyhawk, which is a great championship golf course. What have you played Greyhawk? I have played Greyhawk. I, I, I didn't I didn't necessarily play it in a golf tournament when I played it. Um, it it's typical desert golf, which I'm not a big fan of desert golf, uh, but it's 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 a point to point type of golf. If 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 you happen to hit it crooked, don't go looking for it because there are some rattlesnakes in those in those weeds. I uh, I was playing with some guys and they'd hit it out there, and I go, "Yep, no, I'm not going out there, guys. You need to drive the ball straighter than that because I'm not going out for those bushes." <laughs> so um, it it's a it's a it's a great test. Uh, you know the weather's going to be perfect. It'll be hot, but there won't be probably any wind, um, and uh, you know that that NCAA is kind of a that's a long grind. Uh, that that's a lot of pressure uh, for for a lot of days, and uh, it really gets pressure packed when they go to that match play. Yeah, it is so much golf that they play out there that week at Greyhawk, and it's hot. I don't think people really give it the credit that it deserves for what a physical and mental grind it is to actually win a national no. championship. By the time you get through stroke play and match play, uh, it, it's hot out there. It's just absolutely wild. So some of the other notables that got through regionals, Pepperdine got through. They finished second down at Texas A&M, and that regional A&M gets through down there as well. Arizona actually wins that regional. Wake Forest, North Carolina, Texas Tech gets through as well. We were wondering about Texas Tech uh, with Ludwig Aberg, obviously, who's one of the best players uh, in the country, won the Big 12 championship he finished t6th as an individual in that one no shocker austin greaser won that regional uh from north carolina one of the best players in the country so those teams advance uh vanderbilt florida state they advance out of the palm beach regional uh and then the ncaa the stockton regional which was out in california now with that being in california these results might not be final uh, they are final because the only uh, yeah. teams still left on the course are way down the leaderboard at the uh, very bottom. So that's final as yeah. well. Arizona State will be there. Uh, Greyhawk, little bit of a home game, not Arizona State's home course, uh, but Arizona State certainly able to play some at Greyhawk. Uh, Woody, closing thoughts on college golf before we turn and set our sights on the PGA Championship. Well, it, it, you know, it's not a given. Uh, these regionals are not a given. We, we talked about that last week. Um, and for both our state schools to come out and win, um, that, that says a lot to me. That says they're focused, they're ready. And uh, kudos to them that they took care of business because it's real easy, you know, to kind of let your mind wander and start thinking, you know, next week and what do we got to do? But you got to take care of business. Both our school teams really showed what they're made of. So I'm excited. I can't wait for Greyhawk next week. This is going to be fun. Yeah, it's going to be an absolute blast. Uh, that's Jim Woodward. I'm Colby Powell. Taylor Williams here as well uh, as we, Taylor, are at Southern Hills for the PGA Championship. And, uh, Woody, we had the pleasure of following Hideki Matsuyama around for several holes today. So, so actually the way today went – 
Taylor followed Tiger for about seven holes on the front, seven, eight holes on the front. By the time I got out there, uh, my, my lovely wife joined me today. She's here. Uh, our beautiful daughter is here as well as we're recording this evening here in Tulsa. So uh, she joined me today, and I had to go do some work, so she hung out with Taylor. And then we went to watch a decky on the back nine because the, the crowds around Tiger got too crazy. And Taylor, he's just got to be one of the most underrated guys in the world. It, it was like a private viewing session uh, for me for about five, six holes, and then you joined for the last two or three. And there's just almost nobody following Hideki, and it is as pure of a stripe show as you could hope to watch. Well, it's just, it's the total arsenal, right? I mean, we saw him off of the tee. We saw him in the fairway. And the, the best thing that impressed me was, like even yesterday, I was watching him around the chipping green and watching him today. His bunker play is just exceptional. I mean, the amount of touch that he has, hitting some of the shots even some other people didn't. But Colby's exactly right. There's just there's some golfers who are just so good who don't get the, the credit that they deserve. So there's so many other people out watching other guys. So, I mean, it was just absolutely awesome for us, Colby. It seemed like we got to choose where he went. And I'll say this, guys. I watched Tiger the last three days. Obviously, he didn't play yesterday, but he was out in the practice facilities. The crowds are starting to get big. They've gotten progressively bigger every single day, and I think it's going to even keep getting more from there. I remember looking last week, and Friday, Saturday, Sunday tickets were already sold out, and I'm sure Thursday is now, too. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. just – like I mentioned the other day, if you know where to go like we did, Colby, the fact that we were able to find the shortcuts and able to cut across to certain areas made it to where we were able to see a lot more, right? Yeah, absolutely. No doubt. Why don't we do this? Uh, Sam just walked in. He was able to make it back from Southern Hills. Uh, again, the shuttle system, not always friendly. So uh, we're going to take a break, come back on the other side. We've got so much more to get into. We've got PGA Championship, everything yesterday with Tiger, uh, everything from today. Tiger, Taylor, I want to hear about you following Tiger around today, how he looked, uh, and then Woody. We'll get some of your thoughts and some of your predictions as well as we roll toward the PGA Championship. Everybody stay with us here on the 73rd Hole, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. When something the size of a golf ball hits your roof, you need to call McRae Roofing. McRae Roofing is Oklahoma's designer roofing service specialist. For years, Jeff McRae and the experienced team at McRae Roofing and Exteriors have served fellow Oklahomans by helping them with their roofing needs. McRae Roofing uses only top quality materials and professional crews to make sure that each job is done right so it will give you the years of service, security, and protection you need from the unpredictable Oklahoma weather. McRae Roofing offers residential and commercial roofing, ventilation services, and custom copper designs. McRae Roofing is dedicated to exceeding the homeowner's expectations. It's not just a roof, it is your home's crowning glory. Call McRae Roofing today at 405-692-4000. That's 405-692-4000. Make sure to also visit their website at McRaeRoofing.com. That's M-C-R-A-Y Roofing.com. Don't get caught with a leaking roof. Contact McRae Roofing for your free inspection today. Rolling along here on the 73rd hole, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. Colby Powell, Taylor Williams, Sam Humphreys, Jim Woodward here with you. Uh, make sure you head over, follow us on Twitter at the 73rd hole, Instagram 73rd hole, and uh, listen, rate, subscribe wherever you're listening Google, Apple, Spotify, Spotify. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and head over to golfoklahoma.org. They've got everything covered, all those regionals we just talked about, as well as the PGA Championship. Sam, 
Guys, I just want to start off away from Southern Hills. I'll get to that in a second. But first, (laughs) I want to start off um, and give a big congrats to the OU Sooners and the OSU Cowboys. I mean, how about that? Going out and getting the job done. No controversy. Getting the job done. We'll see them both at Greyhawk. I can't wait for the national championship. No controversy. No drama. No, no, no back nine charges on the final day to yeah. qualify. It was a nice, stress-free few days. I haven't seen, guys. Just real quick, I haven't seen. Did Texas make it? Texas made it, yes. yes. Did it Auburn, I know made. Auburn was Auburn choking. Did it. they make yep. it? Auburn made it. Texas made okay. it. Uh, Ohio State, as the sixth seed in the regional they were hosting, made it. Perfect. So, yeah. Well, guys, a lot of good stuff. Guys, so the shuttle system here is not the best thing in the world. <laughs> not the best I thing. Get you done, I get it's, done. Not as ba- it's not as bad as the food, but it's not great. Okay, so here's the deal. is The, the shuttle is 30 minutes away from the course at the Renaissance in Tulsa. And, guys, it, it only leaves every 30 minutes. So I do my hit on the sports animal, <laughs> literally sprint out there. I get done probably 26 at 326. I get out there, I watch my phone turn from 3, 3.30 to 3.31. The bus is literally backing up. I'm sprinting after it saying, hey, 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 and nothing. So, anyways, 30 minutes late to my own show. Congratulations. <laughs> right, yeah, absolutely. So, it's. Uh, I, I mentioned, by the way, since we're already talking about it, accommodation's great, Southern Hills is awesome, everything's awesome. The food the food? A lot of it, Colby, I feel like has to do with the fact that they did all this in such a short amount of time. Maybe. Maybe that's the case. But I am very hungry. Because in two meals that were served to credentialed media today, I ate, because the, the other stuff that I didn't eat because it was just bad, I ate today a sausage patty and a banana for Dude, breakfast. I've had more donuts in my life. Or more donuts this week than I have in my well, life. Well, and my wife and I, we're, we're being healthy. I'm in solidarity with my wife, who had a baby less than seven weeks ago. We're being healthy, so I'm not snacking on all that stuff. I haven't had any donuts. Today, I had a sausage patty and a banana It was great. What breakfast. are you talking about? Krispy Kreme. And then I had, for lunch, I had Woody. Gosh, damn Potatoes and a banana is what I had for lunch. Because in, well. o- because in Oklahoma, this is not Seattle, this is not San Francisco, we are in Oklahoma, one of the sides today for lunch, Woody, was, I kid you not, a chickpea and cauliflower casserole, <laughs> and I don't know who in the hell's idea but, that but was. Colby, you gotta hear this. <laughs> I was eating lunch. with Seattle or was, San Francisco? I was eating Those lunch. are the type of places that eat chickpea and cauliflower. <laughs> Colby, I was eating lunch with my dad, and he had it on his plate. And I go, what is that? And he's like, I thought it was egg salad. <laughs> oh, my. Anyways. You know what? Hey, guys, I, I want to add insult to injury to your story. And I'm not trying to be a turd, but you know, the only time I ever went to a PGA, what they're serving the players is really good. I haven't done it as a press guy, and I don't know that I will, but, but let me tell you something what they're serving in that contestants area is really good. <laughs> so I, I don't mean to add insult to injury. I have no doubt. Guys, so I'm curious. I guess we'll go through and hear about everybody's day. But I don't know how you could have had a better start to your day than what I had this morning. What uh, what did you do this morning? I went down and just sat right behind Tiger Woods, and who pulls up? Taylor Gooch. And I just oh, sat there yep. and right watched their full warm-up session. Tiger is freaking striping it. Yeah. Taylor, so I talked to Mal Baker, met Mal Baker for the first time in Shout person, Mal by Baker, the way. Man. Mal's he awesome. is the man. Taylor Gooch is caddy for anybody who doesn't know. He's the man. 
said he's hitting it really, really, really good. I, I, like <laughs> I, I could tell I you like that. It. I saw him hit for 10 guys, minutes. I could tell you guys, that. Tiger is hitting this driver that looks like it, it's just so in control, and it's low, and it's running, and it's fast, and he has the driving iron that he's hitting low and running and fast, and he's hitting his wedges so nice. He's drawing wedges, cutting wedges like he's always done. And, guys, you know he was at home working on the putting. I know that Data Golf says that Tiger Woods only has a 62.5% chance to make this make the cut this week. Rubbish. B.S. Nope. Tiger has nope. a 90% chance to make the cut this week, everybody. It's my best bet of the week. Two majors in a row. Tiger Woods will make the cut here at Southern Hills. I don't know if he'll contend. I, I'm going to wait to say that Tiger Woods will contend until he can play in some tour events before a major. But, guys, Tiger and Taylor, my two favorite players on the PGA Tour, they got a good chance this week. What are your guys' thoughts? That's pretty awesome. Yeah, the, the data just doesn't factor in the Tiger factor, and that's where data golf is flawed. The, the Tiger factor is worth an extra about 30%, which gets him up to that 90 <laughs> range because it's just what he does. He, he looks great. I, I, he looked great early in the week at the Masters. It got cold. The body failed. Maybe the body fails this weekend. Did the body fail, though, at Augusta? I don't yes. think yes. it did. Yes. yes. No, it didn't. It, it, the, it, putting, it, dude, it was, the putting, was, putting bro, was not bro, because of the body. Sam, bro, it's the bro, worst scores he's shot in his life. Bro, after he It got, was the putting, though. Bro, he, he had, his ball speed was as high as it's ever been on the 18th hole on Sunday. After he got done, he didn't know if he was going to play the, this damn week. Yeah, the, the body broke down at Augusta. What, what, why, they why, asked him why did question? he say he wasn't going to play that? They why why him, didn't he say he was going to play? They Bro, asked let him, me talk. Why, they, why was he not going to play? Why did he say he they wasn't going to play? That, I'm answering. They asked him that question right as he walked off 18. If they ask you a question whether you want to play tomorrow or next week or even in a month after you get done with a whole full week of a tournament, especially when – it's your first time coming back after a catastrophic injury. You're going to say, I don't know if I'll be ready for Southern Hills, but I probably will be ready by the time the British Open start starts, obviously. And they asked him this week, he's feeling 10 times better than he was even at Augusta, guys. But but you don't but, think but, his body but, broke down that, on the that's weekend? That's the reason he I don't think his body stuff. broke down on the weekend. I think his short game broke down on the weekend, and I think that playing competitive golf and putting under pressure is something that he hadn't felt in so long, and he makes the cut, and he finally has that pressure on him, and I feel like that's why he was putting bad. I don't I don't think that the body broke down. Look at his, look at his tee shot on 18 on the 72nd hole. Just as much speed as a tee shot on the first hole. Yeah, I, I think you're on an island with that take. Bro, including, okay, including that's Tiger. fine. Woody, what, Woody, what do you think? Well, I, I, I love listening to you boys argue. Uh, it's funny. Uh, <laughs> the, the bottom line is, is I watched Tiger hit balls in 2000 at Valhalla. 22 years later, Sam Humphreys is in awe as much as it seemed like I was or seemed like I was. Let, let me just say, I can promise you in 2000 it was better than 2022. Absolutely. But the simple fact, 22 years later, you're watching a guy hit balls that you know enough about golf to know what it's like when it's good. And that, to me, speaks volumes, Sam, when you're watching him and just in awe. Because I'm just telling you, when, when all the dust settles, guys, and we're all old and I'm already old, uh, they're going to talk about this Tiger Woods for a long, long time. And 
where he might not have been full physical, like you guys are saying, and Sam, he might not have had a good touch, which I agree with everything you guys are talking about. The bottom line is, it's Thursday come tomorrow at a major. I'm with you boys. He's going to make that cut. Don't be surprised if he's not in the top ten. That's just what I'm going to tell you. I think he contends. I truly do. You think he contends? After all that, you say he contends? You think he contends on Sunday? Because, okay, yes, his body did break down at Augusta. But listen, he's had six weeks to improve, right? And and Southern Hills is not near a harder walk as Augusta is. So, I, I, and from what I've seen, I think he's going to be great. I am worried about the chipping. He has switched wedges officially, so we've seen some testing mm-hmm. going there. But, yeah, I think he's going to be right there. I don't think he's going to win. I think on Do those Sunday, wedges have a different bounce, by the way? Um, not that I've seen. Okay. I um, haven't seen the official. He usually has six degrees of bounce, so I highly doubt that that will be any different. And, gotcha. and for, the, for the Bermuda this week? I mean, he's just going to go with what he's used to. Yeah, I would what imagine. He's so. with. It, it was just amazing to me, guys. You know, I watch all the best ball strikers around. I watch Will Zalatoris, watch Taylor Gooch, watch Henrik Stenson, Corey Connors, all these guys. And they're head and shoulders above even the rest of the tour guys in ball striking. Yes. And Tiger's head and shoulders above them. Still. With with, the, with, especially with the irons. Especially the, the with, irons for uh, – yes, Especially absolutely. with the mid to long irons, it's – I couldn't believe what I was watching yesterday. I mean, he's 46 years old with a repaired back, a repaired Achilles, a repaired knee, a repaired leg. It's it, He's bionic man at this point. He's 46 years old, and with his mid to long irons, he's still the best in the world. You know what's crazy about that statement is I totally agree. I was mesmerized by the irons, but what blew me away was the driver. Guys, he, he's driving it, and, and I'm around those guys every once in a while. Matt Wolfs, Victor Hovlins, Taylor Gooches of the world. I've seen it in person, up close. It's no different with the driver. Yeah, it's about what it looks like. And Tiger's old yeah. and, and crippled, now, and it's no different. The, the board, if you've been watching Golf Channel, the ball speed on the board is juiced. It's mega juiced. Oh, yeah. the, uh, it was actually funny. Yesterday, I was standing behind Tiger. He hit the first driver on the range and uh, popped up 182 on the ball speed, and Bo Hostler was next to him, and Bo Hostler looked at him and said, whoa, who did you have to pay to get them to put 182 on the board for your first driver? And Tiger kind of chuckled. It was, it was a good laugh between the two of them. Bro, Colby, tell me what you were telling yesterday about the Berkshire thing. Uh, oh, yeah, I was standing there. I was actually close enough at one point to hear Tiger talking to uh, Joey LaCava and Rob McNamara. And, I mean, Tiger's, like, in between range balls, and he's just taking a little break. And uh, he's, he asked Rob, he's like, you got my phone? So he gets his phone. He's just, like, scrolling on his phone. He's like, y'all see this? Do you see this Kyle Berkshire ball speed? Kyle Berkshire's one of the long drive guys. This is Tiger Woods just looking at his phone. <laughs> he's like, do you see this Kyle Berkshire ball speed? I think it was, like, 228. He was, like, 228 ball speed. And then he just kind of looked at, at, at Rob McNamara and just kind of shook his head and i'm like tiger's just like us he's scrolling his phone just mesmerized by the ball speed of of somebody else so i'm curious t-dub i kind of covered the range session did you go out and watch tiger today on the course yeah so i watched him i got to two t-box wanted a real close view i thought him and justin thomas were going to play together because they left the putting green at literally the exact same time they probably rode in the same cart together but he played with audubon lahiri of all people so that was kind of cool to see he actually swings it really pure as well quick comment on justin thomas real quick my dad and i went to the chipping green the lower chipping green um, that you can't necessarily get that close to if you're a fan over there behind the putting green. Justin Thomas hit probably, I don't know, at least uh, maybe 70 bunker shots in that bunker on that chipping green right there. And it was just in the middle of the day, just 
hot, and it was it was just a bunker clinic from Justin Thomas out there. He's putting in that work on a Wednesday before the tournament. No one would want to be in a bunker when it's as hot and humid as it was today. By the way, it was hot as hell out there. Today. It truly was. It was about maybe hotter than it was on Monday, which is really saying something. So, I, you know, I got to thinking about it, guys, and I didn't really realize this. So, Tiger, he, he only hit one ball off of each tee that I saw. So, he hit the fairway on two, hit the fairway on three, hit the fairway on four, hit the fairway on five, hit the fairway on seven. Makes so, I sense. mean, that's all pretty good right there. And then the approach shots were good. He didn't hit any that were, like, super close and got the crowd, uh, you know, extremely going. But hit enough on the green to where he's going to have a look at birdie. So, like I said, guys, I'm, I just – I love what I see. And it's – like I mentioned earlier, you know, the crowds were getting so hyped on a practice round day. Yep. Wednesday. I mean – Heaven forbid what this thing's going to look like on Sunday if he ends up contending, guys. Yeah, no doubt about it. The crowds were huge today. Now, one thing I find interesting, Woody, you were talking to us about your major championship prep, and and one thing, watching guys this week, you, you get a feel for guys who are the grinders. Like Bo Hostler. I, I mean, I would I would be watching Bo Hostler hit range balls. I would leave. I would come back four hours later. Bo Hostler would be in the same spot hitting range balls, and he went and played nine holes in between and came same back. Same thing today. Just an absolute complete grinder for three days. Seriously. Then you've got some guys who go throw a few balls down, swing for 15 minutes to get loose, John and, and go play nine holes. W- Woody, what kind of uh, warm-up would you do leading up to events, especially big events, and what did you notice most in terms of major preparation from the best players that you were around in your era? Well, you know, what do they always say? If you haven't got it by the time you get there, I never believed I was going to find it. Mm-hmm. I, I've never heard of anybody going, well, Wednesday afternoon I found something on the range and that's why I won. Uh, it's rare. <laughs> it's very rare. Um, the, the, what, what I always noticed, and I didn't notice it at first, when I was younger, I would get to a major, you know, I'd fly in Sunday and I'd play Monday and I'd play Tuesday and I'd play Wednesday. Well, it didn't take me long to figure out that was not the way to do it because you were worn out before the golf tournament ever came. And then when it's a major, it's already so much more physically and more mentally than any golf tournament you're playing, how much stress there is. And it'll take from you. So I watched those guys and started figuring out, heck, I'd fly in on Monday. I would play maybe nine holes Monday afternoon. I would play nine holes Tuesday. Um, I wouldn't beat a lot of balls. I'd chip and I'd putt. And then on Wednesday, I'd go out and I'd play whichever nine I felt like had the most trick holes or the shots that I thought were the more critical. And I'd play nine more. And then bingo, when that tournament would start. And and if you've got a guy out there that's, that's beating balls and then playing and then beating more balls and then playing – uh, don't pick him. Please don't pick him. He, he's not going to not only he's not gonna win, he probably won't be there on Saturday and Sunday. Mm-hmm. So that was my preparation. And the reason why I did it, it worked best for me. But the more I watched the best players in the world, that's the same thing they did. That was one thing I brought up with Pat Jones. He asked me, asked me about Tiger this morning, and I said that one thing I noticed different from 2018 when I watched Tiger at Belle Reve from today was the warm-up session was much, much different. Normally, he would get out there an hour early, hit, go through, you know, the whole bag. Today, he hit a few wedges, hit probably a, a few nine irons, eight irons. I'm not sure exactly what it was. Hit a couple two irons, hit some drivers, and, and he went straight up to the tee. It was 25 minutes, and that right. was it. Yeah, right. I saw and, from Tiger. And, 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 and in 2000, he went through the whole bag. 
exactly. and it was the most impressive thing I'd ever seen. So, yeah, you figured it out. Plus his body, uh, you know, it kind of hurt my feelings when you said he was 46 and old. Well, what am I then? Ancient? <laughs> well, but old comparatively. Well, that, that hurt my feelings. Comparatively. Damn, guys. Y'all are rude. It's all, it's all relative, Woody, and nobody's picking you yeah. to contend this weekend. So, you know, it, it's no, all relative. Yeah, that's a good point. So our <laughs> listeners out there that are up around my age at 65, which is Medicare age, hey, I love you. We we'll keep playing golf, and don't worry about these young pups, okay? We're all good. There's no ageism on this show, Woody, I promise you. <laughs> I, I no, know. there can't be. I or bet. you wouldn't let me on it. I'm betting if we went out and played uh, from the same tees, Woody, you'd still be able to hold your own. I know that much. <laughs> yeah, but I'm not going to contend in a major. Right. For yeah. Sure. Well, no. ne- neither is anybody sitting here. That's Jim Woodward, Colby Powell, Taylor Williams, Sam, Sam Humphreys. We're here at Southern Hills for the PGA Championship. Uh, Taylor, more thoughts on Tiger. You followed him. Uh, I mean, you've re- really followed him a lot the last three days. It's been just absolutely lovely to watch. You know, I say this about, you know, when Tom Brady's on TV or even LeBron James playing as much as I don't like him off the court, you know, you have to appreciate greatness, you know, when it's there. And it's like, even if on once the crowds started getting big, even if I couldn't get an extreme close-up of Tiger, I just wanted to see it. And it was just, it's truly such a blessing. It's, you know, I told uh, Colby, your wife was walking with me for about two or three holes, and I told her, I said, I, I just flat out can't believe that he's here. Like, this, ever since the car crashed, it's like, it's just every time I see him, it's just, I always talk about the parallel universe, and I truly feel like we're in it. And it's, and the fact that I, I sat here on this show and I said that he can contend this week, it's, it's blowing my damn mind. It's like, I don't even know how to think straight <laughs> right now. It, it's truly, but, you know, just trying to put everything in perspective, it's, one thing that's really underrated that I didn't even think about is when Tiger takes the elder one, the putter cover off of it, you can see the shininess kind of gloss off of it and kind of hits you in the face. It's something I didn't know I needed in life that I did. What, was, it it, an, it, was it an emotional experience watching the head cover come off old reliable? It sound it, like, oh. It was. It, exactly, <laughs> yeah. It was like the uh, the gates of heaven have opened and all <laughs> angels are coming down so, uh, for revelations. I, I have a question for you guys, um, and then I have an opinion on it. I hear a lot of people talking about how hard it is around the greens this week. I'm curious whether you guys think that or whether you're going to pick a guy that is an extremely good short game player or a great ball striker because and basically tell me whether you think that the biggest swing in strokes gained as far as the guy that wins will be in strokes gained around the green or strokes gained approach? That's a really good question. I I think that it will be, once it's the end of the week, it will add up to be the guys that are strokes gained approach, but the winner is going to be differentiated between who does good in that and who is above average in the other category. Speaking of short game, Colby, you can probably tell this good. Tell them about the shot we were watching Hideki hit along a 17. Oh, it was so good. So so Hideki was – he just dropped some balls behind number 17 green. Short par four, going to be drivable a couple of days whenever the north wind is out there. But if you go long of this green, you're now coming back up a slope with grainy Bermuda back at you. It funnels back towards you, and then it goes downhill sharply whenever you get up on top. It's a narrow little green. It's a tough shot from over the backside of that green. It's not just blow it over the green and you've got an easy up and down coming back. We watched Hideki hit probably 10 little chip shots from the backside, and five of them stopped dead right at the edge of the fringe. One of them, he hit a little bit too hard, rolled all the way down to the front, was going to roll off the green, and then about three or four of them, he got up there inside of about a 10-foot circle. Real quick on this this Hideki shot. Yeah, I just want to say, the the shot 
shot that one the one that you're talking about, remember the one we saw? It was the exact same shot, but the second bounce landed. One landed in the fringe, and the other landed two inches further on the green. And they ended up eight feet apart from each other. Yeah. It goes to show that, that grainy Bermuda is grabbing yes. right there yeah. whenever you're trying to punch it into that slope. What what, do you, what are your thoughts on that, on whether you think that you would pick a ball striker this week or, or a guy that's a wizard around the greens? Well, I, I you're going to have to hit the ball well. I mean, you're going to have to hit it well. There's no doubt about that. But I, I, get, I get tickled when you guys are talking about these guys and you're amazed at some of the shots they hit. Uh, need I remind you, boys, that these are the best players in the <laughs> world. That's a good point. World. Uh, you know – if you look, if you look, if you were on the moon and you look back at Earth, Earth is big. It's a big place. This is the world. And you guys are watching the best players in the world. They better be able to hit every shot. If they cannot, they're not only not going to contend, well, they wouldn't be there. So, well, yeah, yes, exactly. I think ball striking is going to be the one that carry. I think my pick is Cole Marikawa this week. I like Why that pick. he can stripe it and he can he can hit his irons as good as anybody. So absolutely, uh, you know. But they're they're all so good, guys. I just I, I just I get tickled listening to you guys because they're that good. Yeah, and especially when you go out there and watch these guys on the range, it's not necessarily there's no wow factor, right, Taylor? It, it, I mean, there is to a certain extent, but to golf nerdy things such as like how he flights his wedges. I'm not saying, wow, I can't believe how far he hit that drive when I'm on the range. And when I'm on the, you know, chipping green or the course where I really see a separation between even a top ranked amateur or, you know, even a Walker cupper compared to the top ranked players in the world is they have so many short game shots. Even the guys like a Colin Morikawa, who's not great around the greens. I, I saw him chipping the other day. It, it, it's just amazing what these guys can do with a wedge and that they have, you know, not only the onions to hit some of these shots, like throw, you know, throw the club head at it and basically, you know, hit these high, like high spinners. It, it's just unbelievable some of the shots that these guys can hit. And, and that's where I was surprised the most, Woody. Oh, I know. I, I, I watched it up close and personal for a lot of years, and uh, they're just so talented. And, and some of – don't get me wrong. Some have a little better short games than others, but there's none of them lacking in any part. I'm just telling you guys, they're just that good. Woody, before we get into a few more of our picks, i got to ask you, one of the main things that struck me from being able to finally watch these guys in person is – Really, the only player that I noticed that didn't flight their wedges, and I mean, I'm not talking just a couple of them. I mean, every single wedge was flighted, was Rory. He's the only one who seemed to hit it high. What? Because, like, if I go out and I hit wedges, right, I can hit, you know, if I hit 10 of them, I'll hit six or seven that are pretty good, but I can hit a couple that get up in the wind and balloon and spin too much and get caught. But these pros just do not hit that shot. Literally none of them do. What is the secret, Woody, to that? Well, and, and the, the, the key to hitting a wedge is what people that need to understand. There's a reason you have three of them. Some guys have four of them. You really, everybody thinks it's really cool to watch a ball spin. Well, there's, there's times you want to spin the ball, but most cases that's not true. With these guys, when they hit wedges, they want it to take one hop and lock and stop they don't want to see all that juice or that backing up 
and the reason why is they can't control that. So what they are really good at and what our listeners need to learn how to do, you never hit a wedge full. You just don't do it. If if you got a 58 out and you got to hit it full, you know what? That's why they give you a 54. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's another one behind it. And those guys are so disciplined, they know that. And that's what they'll do. They don't hit their wedges hard. I'm telling you guys, they never will, and they don't. The ones that are really good, they take something off it, it hits once, jumps, and then locks. Yeah, and then I wanted to wrap that up with my point on, you know, the ball striking. I think it's just going to be tough for everybody around these greens, guys. I I don't see the huge swing around the greens like everyone's talking about. Oh, you have to get it up and down. No, you have to hit greens around so, this so, around Southern Hills. Uh, so, I mean, yeah. you picked Colin Morikawa. Yeah. Woody, and we talk about Colin Morikawa's around the green game. He's 192nd this season in strokes gained around the green. I might not be that right. good of a chipper, too, if I only missed one or two greens around, which Colin Morikawa probably has for the majority of his life. Right. He, he's eighth in strokes gained approach the green this year. It's by far the worst of his seat, of his career. His, his rookie year, he was right. second in that category, and then last year, he was first in that category. Yeah. So, he's falling off a cliff to be down at eight this year coming in and I asked him by the way we'll we'll get to this later but it it applies to this conversation I asked him if there's any part of the course he feels uncomfortable oh yeah and he basically in a long-winded answer said no yeah I mean I I like him this week uh I I do think that ball striking is going to be paramount I mean Scotty Scheffler the number one player in the world Southern Hills is his favorite course uh Taylor we saw him briefly today kind of just uh crossing crossing holes with him watch him chip and putt a little bit I mean, again, he's just such a non-assuming number one player in the world, but he he just has to contend, right? I, absolutely, yeah. I watched him, um, I believe I watched him Monday and today as well, like you said, Colby. And it's, you know, all the things I see from him, he doesn't do anything that is a super exceptional over-the-wall blow, you know, blow your socks off. But he's so good at every single thing. And then once the spotlight comes on and you have to put a number on the scorecard, he's going to do exactly what we saw at Augusta. If he has to miss a fairway and punch out, he's going to be able to get up and down from 100 yards. And that's that's something that to think about, guys, because – you know, like you were mentioning, you got to hit, you got to hit greens. Well, to do that, you got to be able to put the ball in play off the tee. And so, you know, it's such a connected wave here. But yeah, you got to love Sheffler this week. I'd be absolutely shocked if he's not top ten. Guys, I, my dad and I were over on that chipping green watching Justin Thomas and Stanford Steve and SVP walked up. <laughs> And my dad goes, there's the best twosome out at Southern Hills, right? And, and he goes, who are you picking this week, SVP? And SVP goes, sometimes it's just not that complicated. I'm going chalk with Scotty Scheffler. Okay, so Very there's nice. SVP for you. And I don't know. Maybe it goes chalk. I, I just, it's really hard to win back-to-back majors. It's just, it so rarely happens. It, it's been done, and it can be done. It's so hard to do. Another thing for Morikawa, let me ask you this, Woody, since you're picking him to win, because I think he's going to contend, but I just have a hard time picking him to actually hoist the trophy because, I mean, are we really living in a world where a guy wins two of the first three PGA championships that he plays in his career? No. I mean, he, he's good. Is he that good? I think so. Kepka almost did the same thing. Yeah, what do you think, Woody? I mean, yeah. obviously, you're picking oh, him. Oh, wow. Well, I I don't think anymore. I don't think they think that way, yeah. uh, guys. I think they, I think he's comfortable at the PGA. Obviously, <laughs> duh. So uh, I, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility to say that he might win four or five PGA. So um, no, I I just the Southern Hills. What Sam said is so true. It's a ball striking paradise, 
he's still the best ball striker. I agree with you guys with Scotty Scheffler. Uh, my dark horse is going to be my Taylor Gooch again. I had him at the Masters. I'm going to keep riding that mule till he wins one. Um, I just I just think more college got the game to fit Southern Hills. I really do. Yeah, absolutely. I think he'll be great. Uh, you know what else is great? Quell Creek Bank. If you're a small business owner looking for a bank that understands your financial needs, you need to develop a relationship with a banker who knows you and your family by name. That is the mission at Quell Creek Bank. They're a family. They consider their customers part of their family, too. Come experience the difference at Quell Creek Bank. Woody, I know you have relationships with the people at Quell Creek Bank. Just tell our listeners uh, how phenomenal they are and why they should be there. Well, I've I've known them forever. I've uh, the Davenport Pam Davenport family is just as good as it gets. Uh, they are such a good family, great people. The bank is just my family's done business with them for since I was a little kid. So uh, you're talking to the right guy. If if you've got banking needs, uh, don't look for those big banks. Go to Quail Creek Bank. They'll take really good care of you. Yeah, absolutely. That's great stuff. Go see our good friends at Quail Creek Bank, 405-755-1000, Quail Creek Bank. Uh, another guy, contender this week, number two player in the world, won the last time he teed it up uh, in Mexico in what was basically an opposite field event. Uh, that week, it was John Rahm and a bunch of opposite field guys, but he won, he teed it up, uh, he's feeling good coming in. Uh, what do you think, Sam, about John Rahm this week? I'm not picking John Rahm to win but I am going to pick him as one of my picks, not based on any stats or how he's hitting it or how he's putting, about the look that I saw when he walked into that press area. He is just sick and tired of hearing about Scotty Scheffler. He's sick and tired about hearing about Phil. He's sick and tired about hearing about his putting. He's sick and tired, guys, of not being the number one player in the world. John Rahm is going to contend this week. He's one of the best ball strikers in the world, if not the best. I don't see a world where Sunday comes around and John Rahm doesn't have a chance to win this golf tournament, Taylor. I mean, I've been saying this the last day from watching the play. I think a lot of guys who play well at Augusta are going to play well here. And that just fits right in your arm. Rahm always seems to always play good at Augusta. Seemed like the worst that he played was this year, and he played with Tiger in the final round and played pretty good then. So I absolutely agree. I, I'm not going to see Rahm hoisting the trophy. I mean, Colby's been steadfast on this for quite a while that he's had such a hard time winning. Maybe Mexico changes that, but the strength of field was so low. So I do expect Rahm – I expect him to be right around the Scheffler categories. Like, I'd be shocked if he's not top 10, but I'm not going to pick him to win just because I need to see a little – I still haven't seen enough for whatever reason to think he's going to be able to pull it off, Woody. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I, I agree with what Sam's saying. I mean, there's none of those guys that are world class players that don't get a little chip on their shoulder when everybody talks about somebody else. So, uh, but the way to have people start talking about you, you've got to go out and earn it and win it. So, um, I don't look. I'm kind of like you. I, I, I'm not picking him. I'm not even picking him in any of my three, three top contenders. Yeah, I don't know what it is about him. I just. <sighs> I'm just very lukewarm on Rom right now. I, I just, yes, he won at Mexico, and for some reason, probably because of the strength of the field and the fact that it was the first win since the U.S. Open, I don't know. It just, you, you would think guy wins on a PGA yeah, but, Tour and, and it vaults him up a notch, but 
for me, as far as contenders this week, like I don't feel more strongly about John Rahm than I did pre-Mexico Open, and and maybe that's just on me and, and how I view Rahm. But what was he supposed to do at Mexico is a lose-lose situation. If he would have played bad or even not won at Mexico, you would have been saying he didn't even win in that strength of field. He goes out and wins at that <laughs> in Mexico, which, his words, it was a good win. I mean, what's he supposed to do? All it's, wins are good wins. It's kind of like a college no, I, I, Just real quick, I, just obviously all wins are good wins, but my question to you is, like, what's he supposed to do as far as getting the respect that he thinks he deserves? Uh, I mean, good question. I don't know. That just, for me, it wasn't Mexico. It, okay. It's one of those things, what the Supreme Court say, you know it when you see it, and for me, it wasn't Mexico. Well, it's like Cincinnati football, right? I mean, they could play whoever, what, but they keep <laughs> winning, so you say, well, what are you supposed to do? It's like, well, you're supposed to win and win by a lot. Rom didn't necessarily win by a lot, but he won the tournament like you're supposed to. So He's a lot uh, bigger than Cincinnati was. That's a very good point. Yeah, <laughs> and, and probably it's definitely going to have more titles, for sure, when it's all said and done. So, yeah, I mean, like you said, it's what more are you supposed to do? It's just, I don't think there's anything that Rom could, but, but uh, unless he would have won by like eight shots or something, then that right. might have changed my mind. But the, it, it just wasn't a situation where where it was like, oh, well, he's definitely going to gain a lot more respect than I already had for him going forward. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, another contender. Guys, Jordan Spieth's looking for the career mm-hmm. Grand Slam. I mean, the career Grand Slam. Gosh. Five guys in the history of modern major golf. Since the 60s, whenever we have the four majors as they're constructed now, not the USAM and the British Am, but the, the four current modern majors, five guys have done it. Jack Nicklaus, Tiger Woods, Ben Hogan, uh, Gene Sarazen, and Taylor, oh, give you're me the almost fifth there. One. You're almost there. Give me the fifth one. Come on, you Gary can do Player. it. Yep. Gary Player. Gary Player. I see. I, see, I gave you, you the opportunity. Was, even Gary, though he probably cheated for G- it. But. Gary was my first thought, and then I was like, "Wait, did Gary get all four? And then, and then I was like, "Yeah, it was Gary." So those are the five who've done it. Spieth can do it this week at Southern Hills, a place where he should be pretty comfortable. He talked today. You know, it's Bermuda, like he grew up on, not the greens, but all, all the grass everywhere else. Bermuda, like he grew up on. And in his last two starts, tends to the Masters. First miscut of his career at the Masters. He goes out the next week. He did. He did not watch the final round of the Masters. He went to Hilton Head. He played that Sunday. Did not watch the final round of the Masters. Uh, played with Jay, his agent, and then Michael Greller, his caddy. And he wins at RBC Heritage. Runner up last week at the AT and T Byron Nelson. This is form for Jordan Spieth. He's close to home. He was able to come up and play it last week before the Byron Nelson. So, so he said that, you know, that helped him focus on some more rest and recovery coming into the week. I mean, if there's a chance to win a career Grand Slam, it, it actually kind of looks pretty good for Jordan Spieth, and we would not have said that a month ago. It, it does look better for Jordan Spieth. I don't necessarily think it looks great for Jordan Spieth this week. Number one, by the way, guys, in the press room, two guys – just hold court in the press room better than anybody on the PGA Tour. That's Jordan Spieth and Rory McIlroy. Yes, I, I, I only caught the back end of Spieth's, but I was at all of Rory's. It was and it just is, like Rory's. It's he, he was absolutely up there preaching. Yeah, and but here's the deal why I'm not putting Spieth in my picks this week. His putting just isn't there, and I asked him about it. We'll hear later. But basically, he didn't deny that he was neglecting the putting. And guys, he before last week, um, he hadn't had a week where he was positive strokes gained on the greens. Um, I think in like six tournaments, guys. And and before that, he wasn't putting very well either. And I just think during this swing t- swing change, Taylor, I, I don't see anything great around the greens or on the greens with speed. I guys, it's Colby listed off the five names that were there, and for the Grand Slam, and 
I'm sorry. I'm, I don't mean to be a hater or whatever. Spieth does not belong in that damn list. He, he doesn't. He does not belong there yet. By the time he gets to be 35 or 40, maybe, and have he's, he's he doesn't belong there yet. I I'm agree sorry. with you. I, I, I can't see it happening. I know, but 20, and, and I, I kind of agree, but then I remember 2015 through 2017, and I remember what that was like, and no, that's not a 10, 15-year stretch. That's a three-year stretch, but it was a three-year stretch that was absolutely bananas with this it guy. It was also a three-year stretch before we had so many elite players yeah, on the PGA yeah. Tour. Yeah, and those guys were kind of there, they were but, there but they weren't who they it are wasn't now. like it is now where the top 10, the top they 20, top 30 are just littered with guys who can win golf tournaments. Uh, Woody, how do you feel about Spieth's chances to win this week? And do you think at this point, still being relatively young, uh, pushing 30, I believe now for Spieth, still relatively young, do you think that his name w- would stand out, um, fit in on that list with those other five guys? guys well uh you know no not right now but he thank you the simple fact that the simple fact of he's only not even 30 yet right and he has a chance that speaks volumes and you know what i hate to tell you guys but he's one of my three guys i think might win <laughs> and like taylor it. i'm sorry if he wins it and <laughs> And, and you know what? And if he wins it and and we don't have any respect for him, we're going to have to get it because yep. he could be a Grand Slam owner. Uh, so I I think he's prime. He's flying under the radar, shall we say. Uh, you know, everybody's talking about Tigers, uh, Scheffler. There's a lot of guys everybody's talking about. And I haven't heard anybody talk about speed. So look how long we've been talking today before you guys brought him up. You're right. So, yeah. um you know what? Uh, be careful for the, the that that's the guy. Don't be careful the guy that's hurt. Be careful the guy you don't talk about because he's the one that might come up and sting you. Yeah, I need to put this caveat. Speed's one of like the two players who I haven't seen yet in my three days. So I, you know, if I would have seen him, like for example, I saw Sam Burns yesterday, and my mind is completely one eighty changed on him. That kid is absolutely unreal. But just back to the Grand Slam list, it's one of the most underrated things in golf because you've listed five names. Five people have played golf to be on that list. Some of the names you hadn't right. mentioned, Arnold Palmer, Byron Nelson, Sam Snead. Obviously, Bobby Jones was older, but still, you get, uh, you already said Ben Hogan, but nevertheless, the names that aren't on that list. Phil Mickelson. Are, Phil, yeah. hey, very good. Phil Mickelson, Lee Trevino. He, Phil, yeah. Phil could get it next month at the U.S. Open. He very, I don't know, there's not a chance in Might, we'll might, be, jet, might be jet lagged coming back from London. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, well, don't, you know don't forget happen? Rory. Uh, yeah, Rory. Rory, Rory absolutely. Yeah. Rory. I like Rory this week. You do like Rory yeah, this week, Rory and yeah. okay, Rory and John Rom Taylor are data data golf's favorites at five point five percent chance to win the golf. So, tournament. so I've got a, a key Rory question okay. for y'all. A few years ago, the PGA of America they did the super groups at the PGA Championship. Rory wasn't really fond of it. Rory spoke and said, you know, I understand this is an entertainment product we're putting on for fans, but we're also competing for the biggest championships in the world here. And when you turn it into a complete circus, I'm paraphrasing, by the way, what what Rory said a few years ago. When you turn it into a complete circus, then it becomes a distraction for the guys in those groups and around those groups with all the people moving around. We've gone back to the super groups this year, particularly the super group, which is Jordan Spieth, Tiger Woods, and Rory McIlroy. Taylor, you said you like Rory this week. Does it concern you at all that maybe the super group, the pairing, is a, a one-shot-a-day penalty on Thursday and Friday having to deal with all that crazy circus zoo stuff going on with all the crowds? And, I mean, if that costs him a shot Thursday and Friday, 
that that could be the difference. I think it'll help that everyone in the crowd will be sober because they don't want to pay eighty dollars for a dang <laughs> beer. So so that'll help. But but no, I think Rory's going to be the type to relish in the opportunity, right? And Spieth may be able to do the same thing. I, I think that if there was. If there was two players that you would put with Tiger to say that they wouldn't be phased as much as someone else would be by the crowds, it's probably those two, right? So I, I don't think it'll play near biggest factor as that. You brought up the long Tiger's long irons earlier, Colby. The only other person who I compared the, to long irons like that was Rory, but it was different though. Rory's were a little higher and, and you know little further in, in a sense, but Tiger had the control, right? Yeah. And, and so that was the main thing. So, but from what I've seen from Rory, I like it. But at the end of the day, you got to the things you got to worry about with Rory are the putter, and if if the major nerves are going to be there because we know what he likes to do. He likes to shoot seventy five on Thursday and knock himself straight out of the tournament, then shoot sixty five uh, every round after that, like he just did at Augusta. So that's the only thing I'm worried about. But as far as form goes, guys, he he's on it, and he's got some something, something special working, in my opinion. Guys, by the way, we'll bring up some more pairings later, but Tiger Woods, Jordan Spieth, and Rory McIlroy was not my featured group that I see on the T-sheet here. Stop. What? Stop. Cam, Cam Smith is no. getting screwed. Two majors in a row he has to play in front of Tiger Woods, but it's going to be a heck of a group to watch. Willie Z and Victor Hovland with Cam Smith. Those are three of my favorite guys on tour playing right in front of Tiger. Couldn't work. Couldn't have worked any better for me. Well, hell, you'll be the only person out there watching them. So I mean, you'll have a front row seat. Actually, it'll be all the people going up in front to watch Tiger, Rory, and Jordan come through. So that group will have mega crowds too. But I'm just saying, if Tiger, Rory, Jordan is a ten on groups, that's a good group. But it's only like a seven in I'm comparison clearly, to those. I'm three. clearly joking. Oh, a I know. Bit. But those are three of your favorite guys. Absolutely. So if you go ahead to to watch Tiger. Yeah, it'll be nice for boom. me. Yeah, exactly. So. Guys, I want to get into the golf course a little bit, and I want to start with Woody because you played it before the restoration. Woody, have you ever seen a hole, especially a par three, with three different tee boxes on the hole? Well, no, that that does make them kind of unique there. Uh, normally, you do not know. Okay. But, um, Just real quick, I want to explain it to the people. So on number six at Southern Hills – Obviously, you have the tee box for number six that is just to the left of and back left of uh, five green. And then right. in the basically, I know it's a part three, but basically in the fairway leading up to the creek in the green on number six, you have the three tee box that is due straight east. And then to the back left, even though seven runs to the right of six, to the back left of the green, just off the green is the seven tee box. We could have a catastrophic pace of play, you know, uh, build up right there, Woody. It, it, you know, I always wonder about how they get those people around through there. And, you know, it's funny you should bring that up, Sam, because I'm sure they thought of this. I guarantee you they thought of it. But I'll be curious to see what they do and how they funnel those people around there because certain groups it won't matter, but those groups you were just talking about, that is going to be a cluster. Well, I'm not when talking all those about the fans as much as I am just the pace of play. Well, and I know because these guys are going to have to wait. They're right. going to have to be waiting because there's so much activity going on around them. Um, the only thing you can hope for is that, it is that they're so buffered by so many people that they just kind of it all blends in and nobody really gets affected. That Again, they're the best players in the world. They, they shouldn't have to be – distracted by all that and if they are they're not the best players in the world 
Yeah, and then Woody, I got one more course thing. I, I'm hearing a lot of rumors and and maybe people that don't like the change they made on 13 to put the tee box way back to the south about, I don't know, 50 yards back there and to basically where they're hitting over 12 green. I know that Tiger didn't like it at all. He thinks that it should be yeah. more of a risk-reward hole and that there aren't many birdies out there anyways. And even if you can get there in two, it's not as much of a risk-reward hole because not everybody can do that. And you're still hitting like a three-wood in there if you can get there in two. Do you think that they should move that up, especially – I mean, I do think that they'll move it up when there's a north wind, but do you think that they right. might not even use that tee box this week? It, just from the backlash, I'm, and 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 real quick, we had a bet, we had a quote from Billy Horschel um, from a fan. I, this was DM to us, so I don't know if this was true, but Billy Horschel walked up to the 13 tee box today and said, "What did some guy come out here with a weed whacker and said this is where we should put the tee box?" So well, anyways, and. and- Anytime you do a restoration, especially you're doing one on a Perry Maxwell, um, you know, there's going to be people that look at it and go, eh, I don't like that or I don't like this. Uh, but 13, I don't agree with that tee this way back there. It, it is one of the few holes that if you drove the ball in the fairway, you, you've got those lakes guarding the green. It's already a very difficult second shot. Give them a shot at it. Let them, let them, let them try. Um, I will be shocked if they don't use it at least one day, but I think they're going to find they do not want to use it. I, I, I don't. I, I think that was a waste of uh, graphs, in my opinion. Guys, I was introduced to a uh, Golf Digest article a couple weeks ago, and it had to do with one of the reasons why Southern Hills isn't basically known more as a great golf course. It's not held the same esteem as like Oakmont, Wingfoot, some of those courses. And one of the points that's made is that every championship that's been held at Southern Hills, there's always been some alternate storyline to kind of cover up how good the course is. We had the Heat in uh, 2007. Um, apparently, I didn't remember about this. They apparently lost the uh, the false fronts on 9 and 18 in 2001. So that was an issue. We had obviously the Hubert Green thing um, back in the day. So it just seems like there's always been something going along with it. And guys, in all honesty, I think the pace of play is going to be the thing this year that 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 does it because there are so many tee boxes where they try to do that to add length to it. And my thing is that it doesn't really add any necessary length, in my opinion. All it does is make them hit driver when they could hit three wood. In all honesty, I'd rather see them have to hit a three wood because it's hard to hit a three wood straight. So yeah, here's my question: When you're adding distance, are you making the hole better, or are you just adding distance to add distance? And I think that that's the question of the week when it pertains to the new tee well, on and thirteen. Look, and, and on five, they added a bunch of distance on five, but it's not meant to be hit in two, right? And but. It, 13 is. F- five, I think, actually plays better from back there. But 13 kind of no, feels like adding it, distance it to sucks. distance. It's yeah. sucks. And that's all it is because you want to look at the end of the scorecard and see that big 7,500 number makes you feel all tough and bad. But at the end of the day, Perry Maxwell, it's the genius around the greens, the green complexes, and the shots you have to hit from the fairway and the and just the variety uh, that you need in your toolbox to get around that course. So I completely agree, guys. Like I said, I think that the I think the pace of play, and I, this is the number one thing I hope I'm wrong about on this. I, I hope we don't have to deal with this, but I think pace of play is going to be an issue, Colby. Taylor, speaking of things that you need in your toolbox, you absolutely need a groove it brush. If you don't have a groove it brush, then you're not hitting clean enough golf clubs, which means you're not hitting hitting it solid enough. You're not hitting it far enough. You're not hitting it straight enough. Go get yourself a Groove It brush, patented technology, quite possibly the finest golf club cleaner ever made. 
water right there in the brush to put on your club face. It gets cleaner. You play better. All right, uh, let's move on. Woody, we need to get your picks, uh, and then we're going to move on. We're going to play some audio from some of the guys out at Southern Hills after we kind of give our picks for the week. But, Woody, we wanted to get your picks uh, before we let you go, so give us your, your top three contenders and your dark horse. Well, I kind of gave away. I, I like Morikawa first. Uh, I, I'm going to go with Speed. I'm going to go with Scheffler, and I'm going to go with Gooch. Um, I just love those four guys. So, okay. uh, Woody came to play I told this. You, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ride that Taylor till he wins one. I mean, and when he does, he's going to have to buy me a beer because I, I keep betting on him. <laughs> now, or maybe I shouldn't. That might be black clouding, but I'm not going to do it. I'm going to keep with him. Now, Woody, let me ask you this. Two of your three picks to contend are Longhorns. Do you think that's going to bring you bad karma? <laughs> You know, I thought about that when I thought of those guys. I really did. But, uh, you know, no, it's not going to bring me bad karma. I, you know, they played like crap down there in Norman. So, they, they, I don't care. Okay, so, so I'm, I'm, going with, I'm going with them because I like their game, not that they went to the University of Texas. And, Woody, it's got to make you feel uncomfortable that I actually kind of like your picks this week when normally I'm like, man, Woody's kind of out on a limb this week. This week I think you're, I think you're right on the money. So, by the way, Woody, before we let you go, I wanted to ask you one question about Kerry Cosby. Um, obviously, he was on live from last week, Kerry Cosby, head pro um, of Southern Hills. Do you know him at all? And just tell me a little bit about what you do know of him. Oh, I was I was so lucky when I when I got in the business here in Oklahoma. His father Jerry was was the golf professional in our section and uh, just a great guy. So I was very fortunate. I spent a lot of times playing golf with Kerry, being around Kerry. Um, to say he is the consummate professional or probably one of the best golf professionals I've ever met would be an understatement. Literally, guys, if if there was a grand slam of club pros, Kerry Cosby would be in it. He is that good and that well respected all over the country. Um, I mean, I just I could not say enough, Sam. There's not enough time to talk about how much I'm, I respect and, and appreciate what Kerry Cosby does, not only for the PGA of America but for our section. We're just dang lucky to have him in it. Yeah, absolutely we are, Woody. Great stuff from you as always. We're going to cut you loose. Go enjoy your Wednesday night. Get rested up. Early alarms for the early tee times tomorrow at the PGA Championship. By the way, ESPN Plus yes. tomorrow. Yes, check it out. ESPN Plus, that's right. And uh, until it gets cool this weekend, I've got family coming in for that golf tournament. They're going up there. I said, no, nah, I'm going to sit by the pool. So <laughs> uh, Thursday, Friday, I'm going to be by the pool drinking uh, a $2 beer that I don't have to worry about watching it on television. But you boys have fun. Absolutely. We will do. Thanks, Woody. Okay, see you guys. All right, it's Jim Woodward. We're glad that he was able to be down there in Norman for that regional uh, as we're all up here in Tulsa. And since we're in Tulsa, we can't be where we really need to be, which is Ring Family Dentistry. Ring Family Dentistry, they will take care of you. They go out of their way to ensure that all treatment is as comfortable as possible. Implants, clear line, or orthodontics, they do it all. All decisions are made by the patients. The absolute best thing about Ring Family Dentistry. If they cannot show why treatment is needed, they 
They won't prescribe it. They explain their opinion, answer any questions you have, but they ultimately leave all decisions to you, the patient. That's how it should be. Go see our good friends at Ring Family Dentistry. Gentlemen, we uh, we gave our DraftKings lineups out on Sunday. We've gotten in different pools since then, so I'm not sure if they'll be exactly the same. Mine is the same as it was on Sunday. But let's go ahead and go through these. I, I'm still sticking with my cheapest option. The old man, I saw him out there with his son on the bag. Stuart Sink, I mean, experience this week. I know the golf course has changed, but experience for Stuart Sink over the years, different courses, different conditions. I think he plays well, makes the cut. Uh, that's all I'm really looking for from 6,700. I'll tell you what, guys. It's just been it's been so cool to be able to finally handicap a tournament while seeing it firsthand and not just staring at a, a screen of data and looking at uh, what we've seen on the television. So it's really cool experience for me. I've done a lot of tweaking to my lineup because each day I see something a little bit new, something better to like so I took my boy C. Bezel out of the lineup to make a little bit room for another guy. So I had to go down from 7,000 to 6,800. That's Sebastian Munoz. Playing some really good golf. Was in the final group at um, at the Byron Nelson. Had a chance to actually get into the playoff on 18. Didn't hit a very good drive. But really like what I've seen from Munoz. He was playing with Zalatoris earlier today in the practice round in front of Tiger. So I saw a little bit of him when I was trying to get ahead of the crowd. Liked what I saw. So I, I would be pretty, not shocked, but I would, I'm fairly confident that he's going to make the cut, Sam. I'm going middle loaded this week. I'm going Taylor Gooch as my cheapest option at 7,400. Four top tens and a win on the year. 12 of 15 made cuts. We talked a lot about TG. Give me TG in my DraftKings lineup as my first option. And then my second option, I am going 7,500. Keegan Bradley, he's one of the hottest players on tour recently. Um, 11 of 14 made cuts. Four top tens as well. I don't see a world where Keegan Bradley can miss a cut this week. He's just been striking the ball so well, and we heard him a couple weeks ago saying that's the best that I've ever hit it, even though he didn't get the win. He's just that confident in his game right now, and he's won a PGA before. I think 7,500 is a little too low and maybe based on his name a little bit. You stole my pick, Sam, 7,400. That's our man, Tyler Gooch. You know, I mentioned earlier, I think guys who play good at Augusta can play good here. Finished 14th at Augusta, and he's having his best iron year. Already one of the best iron players on tour. Watched him today, and he he definitely has that Zalatoris, Henrik Stenson type of sound when he hits his iron. So, I really expect that, and he's having his best chipping year that he's ever had, guys, by a pretty decent margin. So, if for whatever reason the wind gets up and he misses a green here or there, he's going to be able to get up and down. So, really, really like TG, and we know the crowd's going to be behind him, Colby. Yeah, I'm going with a, uh, a guy that I think is going to be able to hit a lot of greens. One of the best iron players on tour. 7,200 Russell Henley. I mean, Russell Henley at Southern Hills, I, I kind of think it's a pretty good fit. Now, Russell Henley can, can run hot and cold, a little bit streaky, so there's certainly some risk involved there. Uh, but I like his upside at Southern Hills where you need to be able to hit your irons well. Another guy, just a ball striker. You hope he puts it together for the week. How about Adam Scott? at 7,700, a guy that just nobody is talking about. And I get it. I mean, he's not on the best form of his career. He's getting up there a little bit in age. But again, experience, he's been around, and I think he's going to hit a bunch of greens. That's what I'm looking for this week. I'll take Adam Scott at 7,700. Taylor, who you got? So, once again, continuing my trend, who are guys that play good at Augusta and good ball strikers? Our man Corey Connors, the Huntman's dark horse at Augusta National, played good. Look at his record at Augusta, last three appearances, 6th, 8th, and 10th. I expect that to continue along this week. Um, obviously, like we mentioned, one of the best iron players on tour. And he's having his best chipping year and his best putting year on tour. And I watched him hit balls yesterday and today. Really, really like what I see. Really special stuff, Sam. Guys, you know... I made this DraftKings lineup last Sunday. You hate it now. 
I don't hate it. Okay. I, I really don't hate it. I just feel like there could possibly be someone a little better than what I picked, but Jason Day um, is what I had down at 7,500 as well. He's kind of one of those guys in my DraftKings lineup that I just had to throw someone in the 7,500 range just to make this lineup work because I wanted my top guys. You, you so, want to hear something real funny quick? Uh, so on the range the other day, it was Tuesday. I was standing there, and Jason Day was right next to Tiger on the range. And Jason Day was talking to somebody else. I think it was uh, Michael Collins from ESPN. He was talking to him. I guess Ellie Day, Jason's wife, on Monday, she was in the courtesy car, and she was driving. It was just her in the car by herself. And she couldn't figure out how to get off the grounds at Southern Hills. She kept getting lost. She actually ended up, Jason said at one point, she was on the course in the courtesy car. And he's like, he's like, no dude, he's like, dude, I don't know how she got to where she was. She was like all the way on the other side of the course, like on the course. And they had to send her on like this little back trail to get out of there. It was, it was hilarious <laughs> hearing Jason talk about Ellie's trek to get out of Southern Hills. Apparently it took like her like an hour from the time she got in the car until she got out the gate. So good stuff. Good. Starting, starting off the week hot. Give me Jason Day then. Let's do it. At, at 7,500. And then that bumps me up to my next pick, which is uh, Max Homa at 8,100. I think that 10 of 12 made cuts on the season, three top 10s. Guys, Max Homa is one of the best iron players on tour. And I think that that is going to be critical out here at Southern Hills. He might have gotten a little, you know, maybe a few tips from Taylor Gooch at least. I mean, they're best friends on tour. I think that they will both play well this week. I know they played multiple practice rounds together. Max Homa just seems like a guy that is way too low for how well he is playing at 8,100, and I feel like part of it, even though he's popular, he's not popular for being one of the greatest golfers in the world. And so I think that part of why he's 8,100 is that name Kind of like Keegan Bradley. And so, I, to me, I think that Max Homa at 8,100 is maybe the best value on DraftKings this week. Well, if he plays like he did last time he teed it up, he's going to be really well. When is he won it, at TBC Potomac. He would be more popular if he had better major success. He's already won twice this year. He's a great player. It's just I feel like the lack of major success scares some people away, but I also think he's better now than he's been at any the point. Question career, is, so. The question is, is that something that's coming, or is that something that's just going to elude him until the end of time? Good question. I would think it's coming the way and, he's been playing. And by the way, we didn't even mention the fact that he said it's on a short list of his favorite courses he's ever played. Yeah, he did say that. He, uh, yeah, I mean, you, you don't win twice in a season on the PGA Tour if you're not doing some things well. Yeah, you get a good player on a course that he likes. You got to watch out. So, you know, you know, guys, there's been a few people that have just stood out to me this week for what I've seen, whether it be ball striking around the greens, whatever. And Colby, you've just raved about him ever since you saw him on Monday or Tuesday, whenever it was. 8,500, Joaquin Neiman. Oh, I, I think. So good. I, I, I think he's going to play great. I think he's got. A, besides, he doesn't hit it necessarily as high as you would love, but the rest of his game is just tailor-made for, for Southern Hills. And I, I watched him hit probably two or three holes worth and, and really liked what I saw. Just just control of the ball, it looked like, and he's obviously having a great time out there. So really, really liked the value for 8,500 out of Joaquin. I expect a top 20 finish from him, Colby. Uh, yeah, I do too, which brings me to my ne- next guy in my DraftKings lineup. One Mr. Joaquin Neiman, uh, who <laughs> long before I watched Tiger Woods on the range, I stood behind Joaquin Neiman and just watched him hit seeds. And, I mean, it was so pure. It was He, he got his seven wood out, and the first swing that he made with his seven wood, it was so it was to the moon, but it had such a low spin rate. Zero feet, zero inches of curve. It was mesmerizing to what watch Im- Joaquin Neiman hit What golf impresses balls. me to hear you guys talk about Joaquin Neiman is because he was like the first guy that you guys saw out there, and you guys are still thinking about it. He just, 
It's, it's it, was, wild. it was pure, man. He's so young. He's so flexible. The way he gets down behind the yep. ball, it's just his swing is unique, and uh, I, I love Joaquin Neiman. So looking forward to that this week. Uh, and then the guy who's actually I'll, – I'll, I'll go ahead and spoil it. He's my pick to win the golf tournament. I've wanted to pick him here for a year. He had the neck issues. I was a little scared, and then he looked perfectly healthy last week at the AT&T Byron Nelson. Give me a little Hideki Matsuyama love at 9,200. We watched him for a few holes today. I, I was already picking him before I went out and saw him today. But then I watched him. I say a few holes. I watched him for six holes on the back nine. Picked him up on 13T and watched him all the way through 18. It was basically a, a private viewing uh, with Hideki Matsuyama as everybody was over watching Tiger. And it was just a blast watching him hit missile after missile after missile. Little 20-yard shots that are just spinning back three feet. It was, it was so much fun watching Hideki. He's my winner of the golf tournament, 9,200. He's underpriced. I teased it earlier in the show. I had to change my lineup to add someone. I hope it's not recency bias. I fell in love with what I saw. Hideki Matsuyama, 9,200. Uh, that is crazy because I was about to bring up the fact, even after Colby picked him, that Hideki was kind of the talk of Southern Hills today. It, it, in, at least in the media center, people were like, you know who? You know, we're not talking about it. It's Hideki. It's Everyone was talking yeah. about how we're not talking about him. <laughs> at what point? You know what we're not talking about. At what point if everybody's not talking about him, and then everybody's talking about how they're not talking about him? At what point are we now all talking about him? Like, where's the <laughs> right do- now? Where's say the that one more time, right, Colby. Right now, is, right now is when everybody's talking about him. That scares me a little bit because everyone is on Hideki this week. I'm going to go with the guy that rumor has it. And I got this from a pretty reliable source that Patrick Cantlay doesn't necessarily love Southern Hills this week. Really? Oh. He doesn't necessarily like some of the changes that they've made. I don't I'm not sure if he played it before, but he, he just doesn't Maybe he love doesn't the like fact- the fact that there's like six T boxes where you have to hit over right? the head of other playing competitors. Yeah, probably not. And- Who wouldn't like that? You know what? I love it. I love that <laughs> I he hates the do. course. <laughs> I love that he hates the course. Guys, he's gonna he- hate win. I actually think he's going to hate finish second this week, but I do think that Patrick Cantlay is somehow turning himself into not having any expectations this week by not liking the course and saying, you know, I don't like this course. Maybe he'll go out and play great. Because and hopefully he doesn't get a bad attitude. Now then then he's out of it. I think he's actually a guy that nobody's talking about. He really is. I've heard no Cantlay talk all week. I haven't either. And who's one of the best ball strikers in the world? Patrick Cantlay, yeah. and I like Ran, ball strikers this week. Champion. I like ball strikers this week, um, which leads me to my last pick, Colin Morikawa. As I mentioned, I'm Shocker. going. I'm going with Woody. I'm agreeing with Woody that Colin Morikawa wins another PGA here. Ten thousand four hundred seven top tens on the season. Eleven of twelve made cuts. He said he doesn't feel com- doesn't feel uncomfortable anywhere on this golf course. Really, give me Colin Morikawa. It's it's too obvious to me that he's going to have a great week. I think there's a lot of guys up around the top uh, that are going to do well. Once again, another theme of Augusta is a very top-heavy course. I think the same will be affect this week. So I went with the guy who is right around, fits right into my lineup around the guys. And that's Roy McIlroy, 10,000. Like what I've seen so far, I think that, I mean, guys, he cannot end his career with four majors, can he? It's, it's just, I don't think there's any damn way that it's possible. So he's going to have to win at some point. And it would shot me one bit if it's here at Southern Hills. So he's got a lot of competition to go through. But, uh, like I said, fit well in my lineup. And, like I said, you get one of the best players in the world who has to win a major again at some point. Sign me up, Colby. Yeah, it's it would be so cool to watch Rory finally get one in person. Yes. There, like, there are so many storylines this week that would be cool. My most expensive option, Justin Thomas at 10700 He just... 
he, he always flirts with it, and then he and then he fades, and then he flirts with success, and then he fades. I, I don't know. It's it's a gut thing for me with JT this week. I feel like at the Masters he was playing well coming in. I think he really got caught up in the Tiger Circus at the Masters, and, and he said he wasn't focused that first round. I think he got caught up in the Tiger Circus. Without that this week, he's on the opposite end of the draw from Tiger, so he won't have to deal with with the circus this week. I, I just it's a gut thing for me with JT. It's a gut thing for you, and the other thing is he's going to win another one eventually. You would think so. You would. Th- I asked Taylor yesterday. We saw uh, uh, Justin Thomas and Zach Johnson next to each other, and I said, "Who wins? The- who finishes their career with more majors, Zach Johnson or Justin Thomas?" The answer should be Justin Thomas. But it is Justin Thomas. I'm, I mean, until further notice. Right. Zach Johnson still has two. I, I think JT will win more majors, but, I mean, it's not a guarantee. We've seen it time and time again. Great players. You fail, just fail guaranteed to win more. it to our listeners, Colby. Did I? No, I'm just saying by picking him. By picking Okay, well, there we go. Um, yeah, by the way, uh, you know, we've all got different schedules this week. We're going here. We're going there. Uh, so, before I have to get out of here, and, and you're going to play the audio uh, here in just a few. Real quick, one and done. One and done. We didn't do one and done. I got ahead of myself. I hadn't given out my picks yet. So, my one and done, I have not changed from what I said Sunday whenever we were on the radio. I went in. I looked. I've got Hideki Matsuyama, who I think is the winner of the golf tournament. That's one of my picks. Uh, we give two for majors. My other pick, Colin Morikawa. He just... How's the guy not contend? We did our, our punch shot picks today on Golf Channel, which, by the way, you can watch the tournament on ESPN Plus and on CBS, but whenever you really want all your recaps and all your great content, that's when you head over to GolfChannel.com because we've got you covered this week. Uh, so that was a lot of fun, and, and we picked a lock to contend. And mine's Morikawa. I, just, I think his floor is so incredibly high this week. I don't know how I can't run him out. So, Sam, one of them. I'm going Morikawa and Cantlay because they're the two best players that I don't see myself picking at either St. Andrews or Brookline. And I also think the course fits their game perfectly. Over the last four majors, guys, fifth, first, fourth, and eighth. That is Colin Morikawa. So, and, of course, it's tailor-made for him. Can't, can't go against him on, on that. And then... My next pick, I was saying I've been picking him since the start of the year, and it's solidified because I saw him hold a bunker shot, guys. <laughs> Victor Hovland. Wow. I, so he he finished 27 at the Masters, and he lost a full stroke around the greens. That's just some god-awful chipping. Are you worried about the pressure of playing in his semi-home state? I I think he's going to have a, the crowd around him, and Hovland seems like the kind of guy to kind of build off that. Relish kinda, it a little bit. Yeah, so yeah. And it's once again, I, I think it's just a course that's tailor-made for him. So absolutely love Victor Hovland, and he's talked about working on the short game. From what I saw, it looked like he has, so uh, I am going to roll with that and more cow guys. Colby, I, I think I know where you were going with this. I think you do. How freaking cool is it? That you talked to Tiger Woods. It was, I mean, I was blushing last did night. Did you piss yourself? When I, saw, when <laughs> I, I can't when believe I, you were. Did you I look back, I heard, I heard your voice. I was farther up in the little, the CIA. What, what, everyone calls it the CIA okay. in the media center. The, the contestant the interview contestant area. The contestant interview the area. The CIA, yeah. But I, you're up there, with that, you're man. up there, I hear your voice. Nah. And. I couldn't believe you were talking. You were talking <laughs> to Tiger Woods, and he's looking you in the eyes. You made eye contact. And you are still. Did, did you look at his soul? Oh, did yeah, you the, black out? The, did did the you take time. some talent so, from his soul? Okay, Go through so the whole real quick, thing. Let me real quick tell our listeners. So the way it works in the CIA is there's a guy up front and tells you to throw your hand up if you have a question, and then he writes the number of the mic that you're standing at. The mics are numbered. There's like 15 of them. He writes the number down on a sheet of paper, and then in order of people who throw their hand up, he says, "Oh, we got a question now on mic 12." Not in order of how they throw their hand up. Everyone throws their hand up 
I just well, didn't get picked it's on. It's in order of how he. It's in order it's of how the guy from how he sees, sees you yeah. registers that you wanted to ask a question. Yeah, exactly. And writes your number. It's not a perfect system. It's very, but, very, you know. Like the fact that you not only asked the question and got the words out, the fact that you got picked to correct. ask a question is phenomenal. Yeah, correct. He, you know, I'm because at first I made eye contact with that guy and uh, I was Just chosen. Clutch. I was chosen, <laughs> the chosen so, one. But then I'm like seventh or eighth on the list, probably. <laughs> so I'm having to stand here for like. 10 minutes waiting to ask my question after I know he's written my, so I'm like, you know, they tell you not to lock your knees whenever you're like getting married yeah. and stuff, you're stupid. And over. So I was like, I had a little bend in my knees. I was shaking a little bit. I was tapping the table in front of me. I was so nervous and I didn't have my question written down or anything. I didn't go in there with a question. He talked about his putting at Augusta and I wanted to talk more about his putting because everybody's talking about his body. I want to talk about his putting. The dude had 36 putts Saturday at Augusta. So uh, I'm in my head the whole time. I didn't hear any of those other questions or, or, or answers that Tiger gave while I was yep. waiting for my turn. In my head, I was just going, Augusta, putting, Augusta, putting, Augusta, putting. Cause I what didn't if want... he would have answered it while you were going through that? Uh, then I would have really had to pivot and come up with something <laughs> on the spot. We, we'd have figured it out. We'd have figured it out if we had to. But, uh, yeah, it got called on to me. So uh, I, I threw my hand up so that he could see where I was at. He looked at me. I asked him the question. Somehow I got it out. My voice wasn't shaky. I didn't stumble. I didn't throw a bunch of it likes and ums perfect. in there. Perfect. It was. I was so happy for you. I was just like, oh my gosh. I and then I couldn't believe it. And then he gave a good answer. You know, he, he looked at me. He talked about practicing in his backyard in multiple <laughs> sessions. Literally, Colby and Tiger talking to each other. Oh, it was nuts. The best friends. Man. It was nuts. My, my, buddies. I, I had more people reach out to me yesterday about me getting to talk to Tiger Woods <laughs> than anything I've done so cool. in my media career. I just People I haven't talked to in years were texting me <laughs> yesterday because they, they were watching live from or something, and they saw, they saw my question. And, uh, you, you know, people tell me I have a very distinct voice. Somebody texted me, and they're like, we can hear that clear as day. I mean, seriously, people I haven't talked to in years. Because the writers um, are always like, so uh, do you uh, think you yeah, have a chance? And so, Colby's yeah. like, How's your putting this week? <laughs> and I, you guys are actually good questions, not boring answers. I, I ain't whispering into this mic. I, ain't whisper, and I, I love it. And I think my question seemed better, too, because the guy before me. No, I, your question was great. I, I hope he's not a listener because uh, I'm going to clown on him for just a second. There's always that one guy at the press conference who goes, well, Tiger, you think you can win? Yeah. <laughs> and Tiger always I just answers for it the to same. say, nah, I don't have a prayer. And it's always the same answer from Tiger. He gave like a sentence on the can you win. Yeah, I think I can. Just have to go out but and play well. But you know well. what? What quote I saw? Definitely on Twitter more than any other You're quote. Pro yeah, I mean, I know. It's the generic question, but people love the generic answer because yeah. they like to get fired up. But no, it was a blast. It was once in a lifetime to uh, to be able to ask Tiger a question. I was... I was gushing last night uh, whenever my wife and I got a quick bite to eat, and I was telling her about it, and she was like, well, I, I hope I'm still at the top of your list. And I'm like, there's nothing wrong with a little 1A, 1B. We can rearrange the list as, uh, as we get new information. So, no, it was a blast, and uh, we're having fun. I can't wait for the tournament to start tomorrow. Hey, you might get a chance to ask him another one. Yeah, who knows? Tomorrow. Who knows? Yeah. What, what if he wins I this mean, son of a bitch? If he I makes, mean, seriously. If like, he makes if he the wins? cut. Tyler, I can't even let my brain go there. Dude, if he makes the cut, that means – we get four more opportunities to talk to Tiger Woods. I just I, oh, seriously though, to Taylor's question, I can't let my brain wander to a world that exists where Tiger Woods wins this week and we're here in person to see it. It will be it will be one of the most emotional moments of my life. I had a kid six weeks ago, guys. <laughs> Who's right here, by yeah. the way? 
I mean, his I, wife and kid are in the room. I didn't say it would be the most emotional moment of my life. I said it would be one of the most emotional moments of my life. <laughs> for the record, after my daughter was born, I cried at everything for about 12 hours. I was sleep-deprived and emotional. I, I will, uh, I'll have to leave the press area. I, for sure, I'll have to leave the press area if he wins. I, I'll, be, I'll be crying. No doubt about it. Tiger, you, you fight so well. No yeah. doubt about it. So, I will too. Um, I've got other obligations, uh, but we've got audio. We've got audio coming Send your it. way, Send and we've it. got Shipnuck. Yeah. We, we haven't talked about that enough yet, but this is a bombshell interview from Alan Shipnuck. It's, I mean, I wasn't able to be there last night. It was a great event, and then y'all got Shipnuck like 20 minutes with him, and he just kind of lets rip, so uh, stick around for Shipnuck. I, but, I personally can't wait to hear the interview. I haven't heard it yet. I can't wait for this this pod to be published so I can pull it up and throw in the AirPods and listen to y'all talk to Shipnuck. Absolutely, and he answered every single question great, and we'll get to it later. But, Colby, I want to give you the opportunity right now <laughs> to send it to a question from Tiger Woods from Colby Pell. All right, so yesterday we're in the press area. He talks about his putting Saturday at Augusta, and he sarcastically says, I think I had about 15 three-putts in that third round at Augusta. It was actually four three-putts but there were two more from the fringe, and there was a four-putt. It was really bad. So I asked him. I asked him if he could get his putting back to a championship level, and here is what Tiger Woods had to say. Yeah, Tiger, you, uh, you mentioned your putting at Augusta, particularly that Saturday uh, didn't go the way you wanted it to. Do you feel like with your physical limitations, you're able to practice enough with the putter to get that club back to a championship level? What? No. As far as practicing a lot, no, I don't, I don't do that anymore. Um, uh, bending over and hitting a, a bunch of putts like I used to, that doesn't happen. Uh, not with my back the way it is. And uh, I got to pick my spots, uh, do my work, and, and get in and then get out. I can do different sessions. You know, I have a, a great complex in the backyard, but, but I can do like different times throughout the day and do like a 20-minute segment here, a 20-minute segment there, another 20-segment seg- 20 later on in the evening. I, I can break it up and do it that way instead of putting for two, three hours in a row like I used to. Um, I just have to do it differently. And that was Colby Powell asking Tiger Woods a question at a major championship, T-Dub. What an awesome moment for our guy. I mean, I'm speechless. That was so cool. And it's so great that Tiger gave such a great answer, too, on the question because Colby asked such a great question. So, you know, Colby said it's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. He's going big places, so it wouldn't surprise me if he got to do this opportunity again. But what a great, great experience for our man Colby. Couldn't happen to a better guy. And, uh, you know, like you, like you mentioned, Sam, something I didn't even ponder on. I mean, he, can, he keeps playing, keeps getting contention. He's going to be talking to the media more. So, I mean, we might have more questions coming up, my friend. Yes, he is. And we got to talk to a couple other guys uh, this week. I guess we'll start in chronological order. Uh, the first guy to the media center yesterday, and we talked a lot about him today, T-Dub, is Rory McIlroy. Um, and I did get to ask Rory McIlroy a question, and I asked him about the Ryder Cup. Here's Rory. Rory, we saw the emotion at the Ryder Cup I'm just curious how big of a motivation that was for you over the off season and maybe at the start of this year as well. Yeah, it was a big turning point. Um, I had an awful week at the Ryder, oh, an awful couple of days anyway. Um, and then I f- sort of freed my, f- my mind up and played better in the singles and got that win against Xander. And that sort of gave me a little bit of confidence. And then I built on that and got the win in, in Vegas in the fall. Uh, and then I've, played pretty consistently you know good golf since then 
Um, so it was a big turning point for me. I, I, I went down a path um, that I thought was going to, to help in, you know, um, make some improvements, and it, it didn't quite work out that way. So um, just went back to basics and went back to, to trying to figure out what I did well and, and just keep, keep doing that. Um, and it's been good. I've, I've played you know, pretty consistent golf since then. I think I dropped out of the top 10 at some point during the, you know, that period, and then I've got myself back up there and um, you know, sort of working my way back up. So it's, it's, been a, it's been a good few months. And then real quick, I just wanted to piggyback off his question about the iron game and strokes gained approach. What specific things have you been working on technically with your irons? Um, yeah, flighting it down a little bit, um, you know, getting comfortable taking a club more and hitting it easy. Um, left pins is something that hasn't been a, a strong suit of mine uh, this year. That sort of showed up in the stats, so trying to practice a little more um, to left pin positions and trying to get comfortable with the shots I'm trying to hit in. Uh, and th and that's, that's really it. Um, I sort of, you know, you hit, you just hit a ton of balls and you sort of figure it out. <laughs> So that was Rory McIlroy there. I'll tell you what, Sam, a couple great questions there. And, you know, if he's learning how to flight down some of his lower shots, take a club more, I'm still waiting to see it. I mean, you know, it didn't seem like that to me. But who knows what I've seen might be his flighted down. So he still might be working on it. And, you know, like I mentioned earlier, I got Rory picked. I think he's going to have a great week, really like what I saw. And like I said, there's just no chance that he can end with, with, five, with four majors. So, yeah, he'll definitely get the fifth for sure. Yeah, and when I look at Rory McIlroy's stats, T-Dub, so far this year in 2022, he's having the worst strokes gained approach year of his career. Can you believe that? I really can't, in all honesty, because he has played fairly decent golf. So, but I do believe he's having one of his best chipping years ever. So, kind of, uh, you know, making up for that in certain he is. areas. Gonna be interesting. 0.69, nice. Right, yeah, very nice, very nice for the brand, baby. So, yeah, hopefully. Hopefully you see some golf because, you know, we, we've gotten so much hype about uh, Colby's question of Tiger because he's my favorite. But Roy's my second favorite golfer, Sam. Yep. And you asked another great question. So, I mean, I appreciate good. it. Congratulations, man. I That's appreciate great. it. So, Roy was great. And he gave me a very thoughtful answer. This next question that I asked John Rom, T-Dub, <laughs> I couldn't tell if he was joking with me or not. I felt like he was staring into my soul. And I asked him about Mexico and... Just listen for yourself. Was Mexico the confidence builder you needed headed into this week? I mean, I don't know if I needed more confidence, but it was definitely a win is a win, obviously. It was, it was a good one, right? Uh, hadn't had my best year so far. Uh, I had a couple of really good finishes, but since Tori, I mean, I wasn't really relevant on the leaderboard, so it was nice to be out there and get the win. You drove it really well in Mexico mm -hmm. as well. Um, how important will that be at Southern Hills this week? It's very important, but, you know, if you're in the rough, you might not be able to be aggressive towards the pins, but for the most part, you will have a chance to roll it out there most of the holes, right? If you miss the fairway on 18, it's going to be tough, but a lot of other ones, like one and two and three and a couple others, you will have a chance to put it out there, maybe give yourself a chance. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you have to hit a lot of fairways out here. Like, like I said earlier, you really everything needs to be good. Your iron game needs to be good. Short game, uh, driving, putting, everything. Otherwise, you know, something really will have to excel for something else to be lacking. 
Yeah, I mean, that was John Rahm, and <laughs> it seemed like he was staring into my soul. And like I said before the clip, when I asked him, do you think that Mexico was the confidence builder that you needed headed into this week? I thought I was asking just a golf question, not a Phil question, no controversy. John Rahm was a little bit testy, but I think watching the tape back in the moment, I thought he was being a little bit more combative than what he actually was. I think he was maybe kidding a little bit, but what he's not kidding about is the fact that, like I said earlier, he's sick and tired of hearing about everybody else and about how he's not having a solid year as well. And I think it took him back a little bit when I said the confidence builder you needed like he's in a slump or something, right? Well, and I think that he just kind of takes things a little too personal sometimes, right? <laughs> and that's what he did there. I, I, I agree with you. I thought it was a great question. And the reason for it is because I think he did need some confidence when it comes to his golf game. But as you could tell for the way he answered that, he seems to be very confident and very brass in himself. And that's perfectly fine. That's what you need to be a number one player in the world. So, But at the end of the day, yes, I, I do need to see – a little bit more. I like what I've seen off of the tee with him. I mean, he just absolutely pures the driver. I mean, pures it. So he's going to be right around there, but I, I just don't think he's going to win because, you know, Flat Six is going to let him down a couple times, in my opinion. Well, Brad Faxon said the same thing that you said. He goes, I'd still need to see it with the putter. He needs a little bit more confidence on the greens, right? Exactly, 100%. And who knows? This may be the week because, like I mentioned with Rory, he can't end with four. Well, I don't think Rom can end with one for sure. So it's got to happen at some point. Is it this week, though? I don't think so. Okay, so next we heard from Colin Morikawa. All three of our picks, our one-and-done picks, had Colin Morikawa in one of those two. And T-Dub, I was just so impressed with Colin Morikawa. Even though he gives kind of semi-boring, bland answers, he's very, very intelligent, and he thinks before he speaks, just like kind of how he plays golf, right? I mean, just kind of... By the book, textbook, you know, we talked about Rory and Spieth owning the press room. Colin Morikawa does it in a different way. He, he says a lot without saying anything at all. Well, we talk about it all the time, right? I mean, he's, seen, he's a 20-whatever-year-old, and he plays like a 40-year-old when it comes to core strategy, and that just comes out. He's got a, a maturity level. You know, a lot of these kids honestly have it nowadays. It's pretty special to watch. And Morikawa's my pick, my pick to win, in all honesty. I, I feel a little bad because we've all jumped on his bandwagon. But at the end of the day, he's a perfect fit for this golf course, and I think we're going to see that by the time Sunday afternoon comes. Okay, let's hear from Colin Morikawa. Part of the course, do you feel uncomfortable? Because a lot of people like – Ken just said, kind of think that the that Southern Hills fit your game perfectly, and I was just wondering if there's any part that feels uncomfortable, and which wind direction uh, do you think the course plays the hardest in? Um, well, I couldn't give you an answer because I haven't played it enough to know every wind direction where north, south, east, or west is out here yet. Um, I would say every course that we kind of show up to, you you have to figure out what tee shots fit your eye, and you can have a line really quickly. And there's a few holes out there that sometimes don't. And every course is different out here. You know, I might have three, four holes that I've got to kind of work on where I want to tee up the ball on the tee box, where I want to line up my tee shot, where my misses might want to be. Because sometimes, I mean, maybe rough, even though the rough is, you know, the pretty penal and the, the ball sits down, um, you know, sometimes the rough might be better. You might be able to run it up or maybe bunker's going to be better. So it's just figuring out where, you know, you're going to give yourself the biggest target to, to be able to play from. And we haven't seen you since the Zerg. What things have you been focusing on at home? Um, just kind of tightening everything up. Just uh, the game has felt really good over the past kind of month, 
um, where you know I'm kind of going out and just playing golf. Um, been working on putting uh, tremendously and, and trying a couple new things just to kind of see if I can see putts a little differently, read them better, stroke them a little better. Um, but at, at, you know, I, I keep thinking back. You know, what, what's the difference between when you when you win events and when you don't win? And sometimes it's just a mentality type of thing. You know, you show up to a, to a tournament and you have this kind of feeling. I mean, some weeks you show up and it's just kind of smooth sailing and uh, you're just ready to win. And sometimes you just need to tell yourself that and hopefully, you know, you can translate that into good golf. T-Dub, I totally forgot that I asked about him not playing since the Zurich. It's because there were three other people in the press room for Colin Morikawa. He's the third-ranked player in the world right now. There were about 75 for Rory and for Tiger, more than 75 for Tiger, probably about 80 to 90 for Tiger. Colin Morikawa is a huge name in the game of golf. It just goes to show how big of an influence Tiger Woods has been on the game of golf and even the media. Oh, that, I mean, there, there's no way to put it into words. That is crazy, though, that not that many people are there for Morikawa. You'd think you would draw them because we've been talking about him for this tournament for five months. I know. I mean, he seems to be the favorite. We that, have. Yeah, exactly. I feel like I feel like I've heard some people talk about it with, with how much of a fit he is, and rightfully so. So, yeah, pretty shocking there. And uh, But there will be a lot more people there if he's sourcing the trophy on Sunday. Absolutely. What did you think about how he kind of answered the question saying every course, you know, I'm uncomfortable on on certain shots, you know, basically to me, it was just a big no and that he's going to, you know, really play well this week because he couldn't really pick out a certain part of the course that he didn't like. Yeah, and, and I mean, almost every course has that, right? There'll be one or two shots that may not fit your eye, but it's about if, if all the rest of them do, and if you, really if you like the greens. So I think that's going to be the really thing to see here because Morikawa's going to be able to strike it around that golf course. I don't think he's going to lose a swing uh, between now and when the tournament starts. But if the flat stick doesn't doesn't obey, obey by the rules, then it's going to be very tough for him. But, you know, and you would think the chipping would have a little bit to do with it, but I don't think he's going to miss that many greens. Um, so, yeah, I think the putter's the biggest thing for Morikawa. The other big name headed into this tournament is Scotty Scheffler, and I got to ask Scotty about the story that I wrote on him. I didn't interview Scotty for that story, but I did um, interview his former roommates. Here's Scotty Scheffler talking about the great golf that he played during COVID and how it compares uh, to today. Five. Scotty, after you won the Masters, I interviewed your former roommates, Max McGreevy and Drew Eisen, and they said that that might not have actually been the best golf you've ever played, that it might have been during COVID when you shot two 59s in a few weeks. Um, how does your game compare right now to during COVID? Um, well, it's a shame we weren't playing any tournaments during that stretch, I guess, at home. I was beating up on those guys pretty good at home, though, which was fun. Um, but, yeah, my game feels like it's in a good spot. Uh, I've obviously, you know, I've been on a pretty good run here recently, and, you know, I'm definitely not trying to stop it, so hopefully going to keep it rolling this week. Obviously, Scotty Scheffler is a lot of people's picks this week. T-Dub, why are you not picking him this week? Is it just law of averages? It, he has to come back to earth at some point, and it's really dumb to think that's going to come anytime soon. I, I'm just not picking him to win. I just think it's so hard to win back-to-back -back major championships. But we're saying, oh, it's so hard to win the match play and then win the Masters. Well, he did that too. So it wouldn't shock me really at all if he wins. I think he's going to be right there. He's definitely going to be top ten. But it, it's just hard for me to envision him being a back-to-back -back major champion. Yeah, and yesterday he kind of cleared something up. You know, there was the story that he said that 
Southern Hills was his favorite course. And he kind of said, I don't remember saying that. Um, and he really didn't think that he said that. And, you know, Dean Blevins said, no, you actually did back at the Big 12 Championship at Southern Hills. <laughs> and, so, and so he said that, yeah, you know, normally he would pick a course more off the radar um, to, you know, tell the media that it's his favorite, right, especially heading into a major at Southern Hills. Um, but to me, I think that everything sets up so perfect for Scotty Scheffler that it's almost a lose-lose situation. That's why I'm not picking him because – like I said to you, law of averages, I just don't see with this many good players and elite players in the world, Scotty Scheffler winning after he won the Masters, right? No, and like you said, it has to come back to earth at some point, but there's a chance that it's not this week. I mean, seriously. And it's it, it, it's like you said, it fits his game so well. And one of the biggest things, like I, I just kind of thought of when we were talking earlier, if he has to miss the fairways and punch back out, it's there's no one else you want to get up and down from 100 yards right now. So... Really, really like Scotty Scheffler. Just don't know if I would lay money on him to win the tournament. I agree with you. So, we mentioned favorite courses. Last night, T-Dub, we got to go to my favorite course in Oklahoma, which is Cedar Ridge Country Club. And we had an awesome event thrown by Ken McLeod in Golf Oklahoma. And we had Taylor Gooch there. Um, we had John Holcomb there. Um, there were many other big names Maury in Rose. golf. Maury Rose, obviously. I was about to get to that. But, um, yeah, there, there were many big names out there for that dinner to just celebrate Oklahoma golf um, and kind of throw a little party during the PGA week. And how cool of a moment was it when Taylor Gooch came over and gave Maury Rose who is an absolute legend who started the Oklahoma Junior Golf Tour. He runs it. He makes such a big influence in so many kids' lives. And just watching it, it was a full circle moment to me, watching Taylor Gooch and Maury Rose embrace last night at that dinner. And I just, off the top of my head, just thought, pull your phone out and get a picture of that because that is something that should be framed and Maury Rose should be so proud. Well, I mean, it was absolutely majestic is what it was. And, <laughs> you know, it just goes to show that, you know, everyone loves Maury. People who played on the tour however long ago when he started to kids that are still playing now. I mean, and it's it's the exact same thing everywhere. No one has a bad word to say about Maury, and no one should. I mean, he doesn't do anything wrong. He's one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. And what he's done for this state, truly remarkable. Love seeing him last night. We had uh, some conversations at the dinner table, so really, really enjoyed that. Also met Jenny Roller yesterday, Sam. Jenny that, that Roller. That was really cool. Really Absolutely. Cool. Jenny Roller, who is from Tulsa, and she's going to the University of Tulsa, and she shot a 62 record 62 in the state championship uh, for 3A girls. And then the very next week, she comes out to Southern Hills and shoots a 66. Now, the story that I didn't know about this 66 at Southern Hills was a couple years ago in this same tournament. I think she went out there, and I think the number was 93. She shot a 93 and had, like, the worst day of her career, and she didn't even want to play uh, this week and said that she was kind of scared to play Southern Hills and that, you know, she just went out there and conquered her fears and go went out and shot a 66. I mean, we talk about Scotty Scheffler being on a heater. So is Jenny Roller. 
Oh, that, absolutely no doubt about it. I believe the number was 27 shot improvement. You know, that, <laughs> that doesn't happen very often. If she can improve 27 shots next time she plays there, that would be something, let me tell you. But what a <laughs> wonderful speech she gave. I mean, you know, what was that? Probably a three- to five-minute speech, and she just absolutely nailed it. For an 18-year-old, what what a great speaker she She's is. She's so poised. Oh, it's fabulous. And, and her mom's such a, a great woman, too. Just yeah, what, Maggie what lo- Roller, who teaches out at Cedar Ridge. Oh, what, what a lovely family they are. And I expect big thanks from Jenny Roller at TU for sure. The women's program, not the men, Sam. <laughs> uh, Jenny Roller was a lot better than I ever was, that's for sure. Um, so big, big congratulations to her again on not only the 62, but the 66 out at Southern Hills as well. So the elephant in the room is Alan Shipnuck. And I'm not talking about this room that I'm in. I'm talking about every single room in a household or a media center or a clubhouse that is talking about the golf world right now. Alan Shipnuck has his new book out on Phil, and he was at um, this banquet last night, and we got the chance to spend 25 minutes with him. T-Dub, I went into this interview kind of thinking that I wouldn't like him, right? And, and I, and you know, the thing is, is that kind of the consensus on, you know, between not only tour pros and people in the golf world is that, you know, he was kind of a snitch. So I was kind of like thinking, hey, like I, I, I kind of had a, how do you put it, T-Dub? Like I had a, like an, epiphany a, an agenda against him going into the interview, right? Yeah, it's a classic snitches get and, stitches kind of right. thing, you know. So, you, but and, but at the same time, you know, you never know the full story. And here's the deal: he won me over last night, and I thought that, you know, everything that he said made sense, and that everything that you know we talked about, he was thoughtful, had thought about, gave me a good answer. I asked him some tough questions, and to me, coming away from that interview and the Q&A that he did last night, that Alan Shipnuck did last night, I'm kind of in the boat that Phil brought a lot of this on himself. Sam, after hearing what we heard last night and what we're about to play in this interview, it all makes sense now why Phil's not here. I mean, if we if we know the full story, I was already adamant he wasn't going to play. I would have been even 100%. I would have bet even more pizzas than I did um, for, for Tiger at Augusta. So it, it all makes sense. Who knows when we'll see Phil again at this point. In all honesty, if I had to bet, I bet he's just going to play the live and we'll just be able to see him play golf, but he's not going to talk to anyone. That, that That's going to be my bet on what happens. He may not play the live. I'm not sure. In all honesty, I, I think that they would probably understand that even if they have have such contractual obligations, but who knows the saddies. As Phil alluded himself, are not the best people to be doing business with. And by the way, those are my thoughts on Alan Shipnuck. Now, as far as my thoughts on the Saudi League, I think that they should be allowed to go over there if they want to because they're independent contractors. I disagree with Alan Shipnuck on that part of it. Um, But to me, T-Dub, I think we'll find out a lot on Phil Mickelson come the U.S. Open. I mean, if he doesn't play in the U.S. Open, I don't think Phil Mickelson will ever play a PGA Tour event again. I Well, first of all, I I don't think he'll ever play a quote-unquote PGA Tour event again. Um, the question, Starting right now. Yeah, and the, yeah. the question is, will he play another major championship, which are, are four independent deals as well? And on that thing, I think we'll have to wait and see. Who knows? Maybe a little bit of time passes, and we can forgive him. I, you know, that's what uh, Shipnuck said as well. You know, we've forgiven Tiger for much worse. And uh, but but at the end of the day, you know, Phil has done some some crazy things, and he brought up a good point too that 
The PJ Tour players are are all vending against him because he's trying to take money essentially from their livelihoods, and not everyone wants to go against the PJ Tour. A lot of people really like it out there, so absolutely understand that part of it. But at the end of the day, Sam, it, it was so great to, to be able to sit down with Alan and be able to, to talk these things out because he was so open and so candid about everything, you know, yeah. and and so honest. It seemed like absolutely. And another thing that I came away thinking was that the other tour players have kind of hung Phil out to dry. Yes. on this thing because it's not just Phil Mickelson it's a bunch of guys and I feel like they did feel kind of dirty right oh I, I yes and and you know we there's all kinds of different ways you can go about this approach but at the end of the day I think what Alan does a great with this book from the little bit I've seen is he's just presenting the facts out there you can tell that it's not a completely one side he didn't go in with with a quote-unquote agenda per se of trying to just completely yeah, that's blast. another thing that I didn't realize it, that it wasn't a hit piece and that the whole book wasn't negative. It was about his good moments, too. It was a biography. Yeah, exactly, and it's uh, it's going to definitely be great. You know, shout out to, to to the event last night for being able to get the book. I mean, that's that's super cool. You know, Colby wasn't able to be there, and he's already asking to, to bum our book to read it. Well, sorry about you. You know, you had other job obligations. We're going to go ahead and relish in our treasures, you know, while you're off doing those other great things, getting to talk to Tiger and those sorts of things. But, yeah, I, I'm absolutely so excited to read it. And once again, Sam, just the answers we got in this interview, truly outstanding stuff. Absolutely, and T-Dub, he also talks about, Billy Walters and what I didn't realize is that he's writing a book too and that could be the possible reason why we aren't seeing Phil right now because what Billy Walters is writing is actually worse than what Alan Shipnuck has wrote. That that's a hundred percent what I believe is the case, and that's what exactly what I was referring to earlier. I, I think that it, it's the missing piece to this whole puzzle. We've kind of wanting to say, yes, what we've heard and all this, yes, it's bad, but is it? Is it irredeemable bad? And, and most of the consensus at this point was no. And and that's kind of one of the things that made it slightly shocking. And obviously the first initial hit was going to be so bad no matter what happens. But it's Billy Walter's book coming out with all the things that, that Alan brought up last night and what we're about to hear is extremely jarring to me. And it's it just puts a longer and longer timetable in this field thing. Because he mentioned uh, the book's not coming out until I believe December of this year. So that definitely puts 2022 on. Then you have the, uh, the uh, after effect of the fact of what's in the book and how long is that going to take. So uh, we haven't, we're not going to see Phil Mick- – we're at least not going to hear Phil Mickelson's words for quite some time, I believe. One more thing that I heard in the media center today that I want to get your opinion on is do you think that Phil Mickelson didn't show up this week because if he would have, he would have done a press conference that basically would have promoted Alan Shipnuck's book? That is a really good point. That's something I didn't think about. Um I, I, I that would be a fairly petty reason to not play a major, right? Because right. you just don't want to do that. I think there's so many other exterior factors. At the end of the day, it's this is extremely sad to say, but I think Phil needs money, man. And I, why he wouldn't play in this tournament? Does he not think that he can make the cut? Because you're not going to get any money if you don't make the cut. But if if you make the cut, you're going to make a pretty good check. Feel like he could use that. So I don't know, man. It's it's weird, but I it's just, I just I think that. The scrutiny from it is going to hurt his image for so long that for and he talks about this all the time. The independent contractor thing, he's going to hurt his brand more, and I think that's the thing that he's worried about more than anything, Sam. But I, the fact that he would be promoting the book is an extra layer to the uh, to this pie of the Phil Mickelson debacle. Absolutely, and to kind of wrap it up, I think that Phil had a really bad day yesterday with Tiger coming out strongly against Phil. 
Right. Uh, it's it's at this point, man. It's yes, Tiger is the biggest catalyst, and it's pretty ironic that last week we had the news about Jack Nicklaus getting rumored a hundred million or whatever to be a uh, to ambassador essentially for Live. Right. And, and I don't know if this was in our interview with Alan Shipnuck or not, but Alan during either the interview or the Q and A last night did bring up that the two hundred and thirty million dollar number has been brought up to Phil from Saudi. And it's um, you know it's probably more than likely. That's what it is, and that that explains why Phil's doing it. The, the thing you got to worry about there is what is part of the contract of, of those stipulations. But, you know, the Huntman's asked this question before, brought up this point where it's, you know, he dropped the lawyers against the, the PGA or to create a tour against the PGA Tour. What more would, would you have to do to be uh, more conduct, apprehensible? Yeah, yeah conduct and, detrimental to the tour. And, and, and apparently he goes – Further than just hiring the, the lawyers, he was going to be the damn ambassador. He was going to be like the uh, him and Norman were going to be essentially the Goodell of the damn league. I mean, that's that's what I'm saying. I don't think he's ever going to play another PJ Tour event again. Yeah, and you know what? Just from my perspective, Phil, go get your money, and I hope your tour succeeds. Like I don't have a problem with a lot of the stuff that Alan Shipnuck has a problem with, but talking to Alan Shipnuck, a lot of things that I didn't understand make sense now. Absolutely. I mean, 100%. It, it was literally, a, it was the missing piece of the puzzle that we've been looking for. Absolutely. So here is Alan Shipnuck. And we are back here on the 73rd hole. Not only am I joined by Taylor Williams, as always, I'm joined by the hum man, my dad, Craig Humphreys, and Alan Shipnuck. And I'm sure if anyone is a golf fan out there, they have heard this name in the news, and Alan was gracious enough to share his time tonight at the Golf Oklahoma Banquet here um, in Tulsa at Cedar Ridge. Cedar is just an awesome venue, T-Dub, one of my favorite places to be. We'll get to that later, but first, Alan, how is everything going? Obviously, it's been a whirlwind month or so for you. Number one, just personally, what has this all been like for you as not only a reporter but a person? <laughs> yeah, yeah, there is actually a human heart beneath the uh, the reporter costume for sure. I mean, it's really three months. You know, we we dropped the excerpt. Well, it's really thirty years. Is how long I've been working on this book in my head. You know, my first year on tour was ninety four. That was Phil's second full season. So I've been tracking him ever since. But. I always knew there was a great book there, and amazingly, no one's ever done a biography of Phil Mickelson as big a life as he's had. There's, you know, my my bookshelf sagged for all the mediocre Tiger Woods biographies, but um, Phil was was just this big, huge, controversial life that no one had ever really captured. So, um, you know, the book was a year and a half in the making. We dropped an excerpt in February, way ahead of the actual publication date by three months, but it was just a very fraught moment for the game. With, uh, with this potential new breakaway Saudi league. And it just felt like I had information that was so relevant to golf fans and, and to the, the moment for, as this sport was at a crossroads. And so I uh, felt compelled to really bring this out ahead of publication. So it's, it's really been three months of intensity because obviously that set off this whole chain of events that led to, you know, Phil's exile. And so as a reporter, you never want to be the story. You know, my job is to tell stories, not to be in the middle of them, but... It just the way it played out. It's it's been intense. It's been it's been a, a wild ride. The 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 book this today is the actual official publication date. So I'm just happy that people now can hold in their hands or listening or read it on their screens. But just get the totality of the story and really understand the context of where the excerpts came from and see that it. You know, I tried my best to make a very fair, balanced look at a very complicated person. 
Alan, over this last year and a half, you know, with everything that you've learned, you know, what would you say is the most shocking thing that you've unraveled throughout all this? That's a good question. I mean, it's got to be the scale of Phil's gambling losses. You know, we it's always been part of his brand. You know, he, everyone knows that he loves a wager. He's an adrenaline junkie. When he cashed that Super Bowl ticket, you know, he bet the Ravens back in 02. Uh, you know, twenty-eight to one, put, put down twenty thousand dollars, won five hundred and sixty. Like he loved crowing about that. Like Phil has never been shy about this. You know, these these Tuesday money games on tour. So you know, if he's winning, he's also losing. But never imagined how how deep it would go. And just through my reporting, I was able to to get access to these documents because when Phil got mixed up in that insider trading case with Billy Walters, he was subject to this forensic audit by the government. And the four years they scrutinized, 2010 to 14, uh, he had gambling losses of $40 million. That's a big number, no matter how much money you're making. And, you know, back then, Phil was probably making 40 to $50 million a year all in. But living in California, we know he loved to complain about the California taxes and the trappings of a huge life with the Jets and the pilots and the swing coaches and nutritionists and all that. And his wife's out there buying T-Rex skulls as birthday presents. I, it's not how much you make, it's how much you keep. And after all of that burn, then to lose $10 million on average, it, it makes you wonder you know, how much is left. And as, as Phil's gotten caught up in this whole Saudi seduction, that's been one of the big questions. Like, why is he chasing this money so hard? You wouldn't think he needs it after all these years as, as the number two money, uh, career money list uh, in the PGA Tour. But I think when you see the scale of the gambling it helps explain some of his behavior and that maybe the Saudi thing's more about necessity. And uh, so th that would be the single most shocking thing to me. And Alan, you followed Phil, like you said, you've been in business since 1994. Uh, you probably followed him even before that. I know he, he won the individual title NCAA championship in the late eighties here in Oklahoma at our course at Oak tree in Edmond. Uh, so, the, the point is, Phil would be an interesting story, even without the Saudi information. And, and the Saudi information came very late in the game as far as your book is uh, concerned, right? Yeah, I was a week from, from when the book was due, and Phil rang me up and told me everything. And I'd gone to him three times and asked him face-to-face -to, -face to you know sit for interviews for the book, and he declined, which was fine. But in the end, he couldn't help himself. He had to tell me how smart he was and how he had gamed the whole system. And he was smarter than Jay Monahan, the tour commissioner. And he was smarter than Greg Norman, the figurehead for the Saudis. And that he had expertly played them against each other, created all this leverage, had gotten all the things he'd always wanted but could never have from sort of a structural standpoint in professional golf. And so uh, that's what's interesting about Phil is he's always battling his inherent tendencies. And even though he didn't want to talk to me and he decided it wasn't a good idea, he just couldn't help himself. And that's... You know, that's of a piece with with how he lives his life, how he plays the game. You know, should he have, when he's in the trees on the second hole at Wingfoot, should he just hit a nice little safe little wedge into the fairway? Of course. But he wanted to hit a hero shot and win the U.S. Open in great style. And instead he set himself on fire. Like, he's walking a knife's edge in so many different ways on the golf course and off. And uh, it's what makes him so compelling and, and maddening and, and riveting. But... Uh, there's a downside to that, and you know this the exile he's been in is, is is obvious proof of that. I think a lot of people get it a little misunderstood that your book is not necessarily a hit piece on Phil Mickelson. You're just telling the full story of Phil Mickelson, um, and you even told 
tonight at the banquet that you left a few things out for the personal element um, of other people in the book, and even Phil was something that he said about his kid um, to you in private, and and basically my question here, Alan, is where's the line between personal or too personal and just good, solid journalism? Yeah, it's, it's very much a judgment call, and it's very contextual, and different reporters would answer that differently. And so that's something I faced over and over in the reporting of this book because everyone wanted to tell me everything. And, you know, Phil's had this big, messy, complicated life and he has a lot of supporters and he has a lot of detractors and they all wanted to talk to me and and put their spin on things. And um, so, you know, this is the opposite of a hit piece. Like my, my goal was to write a very fair, balanced look at someone who's had, um, a really long run in the public eye and it's really, you know, incumbent on the reader to decide how they feel about him. Like I'm just here to lay it all out and I'm not trying to legislate people's feelings and I'm not an advocate in either way saying you got to root for Phil or, or you have to change your mind and decide you dislike him. It's totally up to the reader, but my goal was to be as thorough and complete and, and balanced as I could be. And so, so many of Phil's virtues are in these pages, you know, the philanthropy and the, the mentorship of young players and the random acts of kindness to fans and, and people in the game. And he's, he's done a lot of good in his life and he's spread a lot of goodwill through the golf world. And I was happy to celebrate all those virtues, but uh, there's another side to Phil and he has a way of just creating controversy. He can't help himself. He loves to stir the pot. He loves to think of himself as this, this kind of a maverick and that's all in the book too. And I kind of want to follow up with that question. Did it ever cross your mind or did you ever think about not releasing this information? The Saudi it, stuff? Well, the Saudi stuff and the Phil yeah. gambling losses. Yeah. No, I mean, I feel like I have an obligation to the reader. When I when I set up down this path, like I knew there was going to be a lot of tough choices in, in how to put this book together because I'd had inklings. I'd heard things through the years out on tour. People told me stuff that was off the record, but kind of pointed me in directions where I could confirm it in other ways. And so I knew there was a lot out there and that that potentially there was going to be some explosive stuff. But, you know, I didn't write this book for Phil Mickelson. I didn't write it for the PGA Tour. I didn't write it for the Saudis. I I wrote it for golf fans and for the readers. And that's where my fidelity lies. And so knowing that that Phil's going to be mad at me or the Phil fans are going to be mad at me or whoever it may be, ultimately you can't can't let that cloud the objective, which is just to write the truth and write the full story. And so that's always been my, the way I, I approach this job. It, it's not about getting dapped up on the driving range because, uh, you know, it's not about performing for the players or anybody else. It's about serving the readers and they deserve the truth and they deserve the whole story. Alan, is there a kumbaya at the end of the road for Phil and the PJ tour? Is there a way that they're, relationship can be managed and what do you give a zero to a hundred percent chance that Phil ever plays at PJ Tour event again? That's an interesting question. I mean, Phil's really at a, at a personal and professional crossroads and he's torn between these two worlds of the humongous money of the Saudis and then going back to the PJ Tour, which has has been an incredible stage for him for all these decades. And, uh, there's a downside to each, but, um, you know, if Phil goes all in, with the Saudis, it's going to really complicate his legacy, and it could very well cost him a chance to compete on the PGA Tour because Jay Monahan, the tour commissioner, has treated the Saudis as this existential threat and pretty much said, if you go over there and play, then you're out. 
And the question is, will that hold up in court? You know, can can they really restrict the movement of their players when that's sort of a bedrock principle is that these guys are independent contractors and they can choose their own schedule. So it's it's going to be messy. And I think that's really the reason why Phil is not here at the PGA Championship. He's healthy. He's playing golf at home. I know this because people are sending me paparazzi photos and videos of him, which I haven't posted because, again, it feels a little too intrusive. But um, he, I think he just needed some time to let this stuff play out because we're at a very chaotic moment for professional golf where everything's up for grabs. If this does become an antitrust lawsuit and the PGA Tour loses, it'll reshape the whole landscape of professional golf. And so I think what Phil's doing is just trying to buy time and, and see where he fits into the, this, the as the ground is sort of shifting beneath his feet. Phil said he had uh, three players um, help pay for the uh, attorneys that drew up the operating agreement, you know, for this competing tour. And and so I, I'm curious, a lot of golf fans are, are curious, you know, how, how many players do you think did accept money before all this blew up and so forth? How many of the top 50 were going to participate? How many other players were they? Who were these the, these three players that that helped pay the attorneys to drop the operating agreement? It yeah. just seems like Phil has been hung out to dry here by the players. I think that's one surprising aspect to, to just to golf fans is where is the support for Phil right. from the players? And it seems like the players have kind of hung him out to dry. Yeah. In some ways, Phil is paying for the sins of others. You know, it's – all these guys have gone over to Saudi Arabia and taken the money. Why is he being singled out? And part of it was he was just too blunt and too honest. You know, there's a script you follow when you go over there and you say, I'm just trying to grow the game, and I'm, not, I'm an athlete, not a politician. Everybody rolls their eyes. They, they know it's BS. They're just there for the money. But as long as you kind of toe that line, you can sort of get away with it. But Phil said the quiet parts out loud, and he – he acknowledged the, the Saudi atrocities and then very callously dismissed them. And that was a little bit of a shock. And then for him to admit that, you know, to these sneaky dealings in, in helping to essentially subvert his home tour, that, that carried a wallop too. So it was kind of the one-two punch. And um, yeah, he never did tell me the identity of the, the other players and they have kind of skated um, and it may yet be revealed. But, you know, Lee Westwood is quite clearly going to go throw in with the Saudis. He's been out there singing their praises. Sergio, obviously. Sergio, yeah. And people said, what's the difference between Phil and Lee Westwood? Well, first of all, nobody cares about Lee Westwood. You know, Phil's been the, one of the biggest stars in the game for three decades. Um, but also, Phil's been the flag bearer for the PGA Tour. And the European Tour would not exist without the money from oppressive regimes. All their biggest purses come from from Dubai, from uh, Abu Dhabi, from China, now from Saudi Arabia. And the European players made their peace with that a long time ago. But, um, you know, it's a different, little different thing in America. You know, 15 of the 9-11 hijackers came from Saudi Arabia, and they just assassinated a Washington Post reporter who was a resident of the United States. And it's a much more emotional issue for Americans because we have been attacked in large part by the Saudis. And, um, and so... I think Phil badly underestimated that piece of it. You know, he thought he was just being this very clever businessman who was, had some leverage and was and people competing for his services and he could just play both sides. But the blood money from Saudi Arabia is different. And people, a lot of fans, a lot of people around the world, and especially in this country, get a really bad feeling if you get in bed with them. And I, th I think he, he vastly underestimated that. Yesterday on this show, I said that Phil should have played in the PGA this week to get out in front of your book. And I, and I think that 
by the end of the week, we would have stopped talking about it a little bit if he would have played. Number one, do you think it was Phil's decision not to play, or do you think it was the PGA of America's decision not to play, or the PGA Tour's decision for him not to play? What, where do you stand on that, and do you think Phil should have played this week to get out in front of your book? Yeah, I mean, I sent the book to Phil weeks ago through his lawyer with a handwritten note, and you know, I thought he deserved a chance to see it before the public, and if it was weighing on him, like I think you know, it was fair to him to see that there weren't going to be any more seismic earthquakes like the Saudi stuff. Like there's, there's stuff in there he's not going to like, you know, for sure, but it's survivable. And um, I didn't want him like running scared. So, um, you know, I, I thought that was the right thing to do. But um, it is my belief that Phil could have played this week. You know, it's been more than 90 days since the, since that the excerpt dropped. And that's a, a, a span of time the tour is used for previous disciplinary action. Um and the PGA of America, which runs this tournament, is different from the PGA Tour. And casual fans don't always understand that. But the PGA of America does not have to do the tour's bidding. Phil is exempt as as the defending champ. And whatever discipline action that the tour worked out with Phil, the PGA of America doesn't have to honor that. And there's nothing they could do to prevent Phil from playing this tournament if he wanted to. And so I think the tour would have been smart enough that whether he was suspended or he took a leave of absence, it was going to end this week. And Phil would have the ability to defend his championship, which he deserves. And um, so... It, I, I strongly believe is Phil's choice, and I just think he's not ready to return to public life, answer the tough questions, and he would have had to have pledged allegiance to either the Saudis or the tour this week. That would have been the question that everybody wants answered. You know, where are you going? Where is your heart? So now he's bought himself another month, and um, you know, the next tournament that really matters is the U.S. Open, uh, where he's, of course, that's always been the the missing piece of Phil's resume. Uh, but the week before is the first Saudi event. And so now there's uh, the tour denied releases for its members who wanted to go play. So it's set up this potential battle. Like who's going to be the first guy out of the foxhole who's going to test that maybe risk a suspension, which would certainly set off a legal challenge. Is Phil going to be that guy? Is he going to go all in? Is he waiting for somebody else to take the first bullet? That's actually a bad metaphor. We're talking about Saudi Arabia, but um, and the PGA Tour is notorious for losing these lawsuits. Yeah, whether it be to it, Karsten Solheim or who, whatever one you want to pick. Yeah, it's it's it. They're in a tough spot where they um, they want to grant their players the freedom to pick their schedule, but they also want to dictate the terms. Like I'm not a lawyer, but that seems that might be like it might be hard to defend on, on an antitrust standpoint. I mean, so. Um, I think Phil is just trying to buy himself some time to see how this is all going to play out. And he may not have the answers in a month and he, he may take off this, he may skip this out event. He has a little cover and say, well, my release wasn't granted. I can't play in it. But if he skips us open, then you know that this self-imposed exile is serious and it could last a while because that's the tournament he needs more than any other. And it's obviously, it's, it's a tough setup. It's a challenging way to come back if you have, if you're rusty competitively, but he's, he's got to take the plunge sooner or later. And, um, you know, to your point about getting out in front of the story, I mean, even Phil's withdrawal from this tournament, he never, he never said a, a word. He was left up to the PG of America to send out this very tepid tweet. And, and for a chronic over-explainer, for a guy who's obsessed with showing the world how smart he is, for Phil to go dark and not even put out any, any kind of statement, I, I think he's like running scared or anything he says now will be used against him later. And so he's just trying to be totally underground, but it's, it's wildly out of character and it tells you what kind of soul searching he's doing. And there may be, you know, I, I know that anecdotally there's some conflict among his closest advisors 
it started with the whole idea of going to Saudi Arabia. They were split on that, and now that it's blown up, uh, there's a lot of rancor in the people closest to him. So I, I don't think Phil's getting good advice. I don't know what advice he's getting, but if you read his you know, non-apology apology <laughs> in February, like that was an absolute word salad that um, read like a, a midnight, you know, Donald Trump tweet storm, and um, it wasn't very coherent. And so I, I think that, that Phil's doing a lot of soul searching and where he goes from here is anybody's guess. During your speech, you brought up a name that we know all too well as gamblers, uh, Billy Walters. And you brought up that he's actually coming out with a book later on at the end of this year. And so, you know, that's pretty telling. And one of the reasons I don't think Phil's playing because you had all that in, it just has uh, so many layers to it. So kind of describe uh, Phil and Billy's relationship and kind of why they have so much stain against each other. Yeah. So they, People think that that Billy was Phil's bookie, but in fact they were partners, and they would they would place bets together. It was advantageous for Phil because he had access to Billy Walters' mind and his information. He's a legendary sports better, and that and Billy had access to Phil's accounts to place the bets because Billy would, was so good he would often get cut off by his own bookies, and so it was very symbiotic. But there was times that that Billy well, that Phil wanted to to place a bet. Billy wanted no part of. Billy would still bet it because he knew it was going to lose and that would keep him in good standing with, with the bookmakers. And so over time, he'd, he'd front some of the money and the the debt grew to over $3 million that, that Phil owed Billy. And so that's where this, this you know fishy stock trade comes in. Phil's trying to pay back Billy. Um, Billy has insider information, which he did or did not pass to, to Mickelson. They both say it didn't happen. The government contended otherwise, but... Uh, so this turns into this whole investigation. Billy's convicted. He goes, he's sent down the river. Uh, Phil could have testified on Billy's behalf, elected not to do so. And whether he could have saved Billy's skin is subject to debate among lawyers, but he didn't try. And for Billy, that was like the original sin that he, that Phil wasn't there when he needed them. They, they were friends, they were mentors, they had this partnership and, and he, fe- he feels like Phil really sold them out. So, my goal and, and my intention was always to write a very fair and balanced book. Billy Walters is not a journalist. He doesn't care about that. He, like He's looking for a scalp, and he has vengeance on his mind. So Phil is rightfully worried about because Billy knows a lot of stuff, and he's not going to be shy about sharing it. So if, if Phil takes this whole year off, I think it has more to do with Billy's book than mine, and he's just trying to weather that. But it's you know he's going to have to face the music sooner or later. And, um, you know... I, we're a forgiving nation and sports fans love a comeback. They love a redemption story. They've forgiven Tiger Woods for much worse than Phil Mickelson's ever done. I mean, there's a road back for Phil, but um, it's going to get complicated if he goes all into the Saudis. Cause then I think after, after really sharing his innermost feelings and he knows they're bad guys and he's still going to deal with them. Uh, I think that'd be unforgivable for a lot of golf fans. So there's so much at stake here for Phil. Hey, my last question, and again, we really appreciate your time. I know you're a busy man. This is probably the busiest week of your life. Definitely. We we really appreciate it. Um, But all all the financial stuff is very interesting. The the, the gambling stories are interesting. The the Saudi information and the the, – reported figures on, on how much Phil is, is making from the Saudis, all very interesting. But listening to you tonight, it sounds like the personal side of the story is maybe, and the untold uh, personal story is maybe just as interesting as all the, the, the money involved, right? 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's why I feel was, is such a fascinating challenge for biographer because there's so much going on. Like we haven't even talked about golf here, but like right. some of my favorites, <laughs> you know, the, the wing foot stuff, I, I recreate that whole debacle in, in forensic detail. That's some of my, this might be my favorite part of the whole book. And the incredible triumphs and the slapstick defeats and like to relive all those. And I was on the ground for all of them. Like every time Phil was on the cover sports illustrated, I wrote that story and I was standing right there in the fairway at Wingfoot when he's in the I, trees. I was there. Yeah. yeah it was wild. <laughs> and uh, I was there at Muirfield when he blitzed that back nine and, you know, win for the ages. And I was drinking champagne with him and Amy afterwards. Like I've been there and I've seen it with my own eyes, but to go back and talk to other people who were, were part of it was, was, was such a fun challenge to bring fresh perspective and, and make people remember because it's really been a legendary career. And, um, so yeah, you have all the juicy stuff we've talked about. We have, you have all the golf stuff. Then you have this incredibly complicated and contradictory character and these warring impulses that are always within Phil and to try and tease that out for readers so they can really understand who this, this person is. Um, it's, that's why I think if, if the book works, it's because it's all in there. Like everything you'd want to know from the golf, from the personal, from the money, the gambling, the bust up with the bones, Billy Walters, all of it. And it's been a singular life. And, you know, there's no one in American sports who's had to run like Phil Mickelson. For over three decades, he's been one of the best in the world. You know, Tom Brady and LeBron James have, they have a similar longevity and much more demanding sports, but they're not doing it in their 50s, right? Like, and Phil was, he was one of the best players in the world when he was in college. He beat the pros as an undergrad. And at almost 51, he beat him again. And it's one of the hardest courses in the world. Like, it's an unparalleled run. And so to bring that all together into one tale uh, was a great challenge and a great joy. And I think there's something for everybody in that book. Alan, thank you so much for your time tonight and have a great time in Tulsa. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. It's fun. Alan, Absolutely. Alan, how can people get the book? Well, ideally, they go down to the local independent bookstore and support them. Um, I'm doing a lot of business with Magic City here in Tulsa, a great little indie. Uh, but of course, it's on Amazon, it's on it's Barnes and Nobles. Uh, you know, there's the ebook. And I will say, I, I read the audiobook, which was such a fun challenge. And if, I've just gotten into audiobooks myself the last few years. And I'm not a trained actor. I didn't try and do a bunch of different voices like sometimes these narrators do, but I, I do care so much about this book and I brought so much passion to it. And I know the dramatic moments. Uh, I know where the jokes are coming. And so if you're into that sort of thing, I think the audiobook's really fun. Awesome. Thank you so Thanks much for your time. Right. Thank Thanks, you so guys. much. Yeah, Appreciate you got it. it. All right.